Hi, I'm Liam O'Rourke, and I can't be the only one terrified at the thought of Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt at UFC 200. What a shit deal for WWE! There is every chance that the guy that broke the streak will stay upright about as long as Mel Phillips in a room with Kamala. I'm Old Man Jones, the man who yells at clouds, the man who scares the neighborhood children, and you can rest assured, none of them ever got their ball back when it came in the back up. I'm G. John Chase. Okay, everyone, just, just, everybody just stop. No. No. I do not want to see Teddy Long back. No. And I'm Kieran O'Rourke, the wrestling prophet. I have dreamt that the number one draft pick will be CM Punk. I have also dreamt that England will reach the semi-finals of the European Championships. However, I will caveat that with the two teams in the final were Brazil and Argentina. Maybe those dreams were influenced by something other than prophecy. This is the panel for the 87th Squared Circle Gazette Radio, and you can hear us talk about your favourite cage matches and wrestling history next. Hello everyone and welcome to the 87th Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam Rock alongside Old Man Jones. Let's do this. G. John Chase. I don't want to make this a tag team match. And Kieran O'Rourke. Oh, sure. And we are back this week to talk about your favourite cage matches in the history of professional wrestling. A very wide open topic of discussion this week, fellas. Any match that's uh, ever taken place in any kind of cage settings, of course. War games, Hell in a Cells, Elimination Chambers, Kennel from Hells, Triple Cages. <laughs> it's all eligible here today. Thunder Domes. Thunder Domes. It's all eligible here at SCG Radio this week. And of course, we threw it out to you, the loyal listeners, to hear what you thought was your personal favourite cage match of all time. Uh, didn't look for best against favourite. Makes it a little bit, uh, a little bit more of a interesting debate and get a bit more of a personal flavour on, uh, on some of the feedback so I'm interested to see what we get here this week uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time you can of course go back and listen to every show we've ever done at squaredcirclegazette.com uh, subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for Squared Circle Gazette Radio or liking us on our Facebook page uh, facebook.com slash SCG Radio uh, so with that said gentlemen very quickly before we get to uh, the, the nitty gritty here today thoughts on cage matches in general are you a fan of them? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know uh, it's a funny one isn't it because I don't know, you quite often get disappointed when you get a cage match, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Hmm. I think it's because it's a great gimmick to, like, to sell in the build. For instance, the recent Jericho Ambrose one, it's so restricting given the nature of the gimmick, it's, they can fall flat from the expectation. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. A lot, you know, obviously, a lot of great matches, but a lot of letdowns too. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of those that, in, in principle... I'm I'm a big fan of and and there's been a, you know enough good ones over the years in whatever in whatever format the the cage constitutes but you do really get uh, peaks and troughs when it comes to the cage matches you mentioned the the Jericho Ambrose one recently I'm sure we'll get into some some terrible ones that there's been over the years from the the listeners feedback potentially as well it it is one of those that's sort of all over the place in retrospect when you look at the history of the cage match and even reaching the point now where we've got Oh, it's October. It's time for Hell in a Cell. And the sort of that's what I the, hate. The way that it's been bastardised to some extent. Yeah, I think uh, due to just um, obviously the mass oversaturation of this gimmick, along with all other ones, I think uh, the actual ratio percentage uh, of the quality of these matches have gone down uh, in, the, in the last, uh, particularly I think in the last ten years. And when kind of I, I, when kind of watching back uh, a lot of these matches that are great I did struggle to find any, anything good or memorable in the last 10 years uh, specifically and it does make you forget sometimes that there are great matches are out there that there, there is a restriction due to uh, the nature of the gimmick but 
when told right and when used by at a very specific stage of a feud and with the right people in mind and they and they and they put it together right, it can work really well. It can be magic. Well, that's the thing, and you and Carl both touched on it. Nowadays, Eastern WWE, the cage match is like it's, it's like October. It's not used to culminate a few because two guys need to be locked inside there, also one can't escape, or you know yeah. it, it, that's, that philosophy's out the window now. So it's it puts a whole spin on the cage match. It's the same with, and they've done it with all the gimmicks. They've done it with the ladder yeah. matches and so on and so forth, where the, these gimmicks that originally actually had a reason to exist, which is now it's just like, well, we can't think of anything, and we've had we've done about five, uh, you know, normal matches in a row. We have got to do something different. Oh, we'll throw them in a cage then. I, I, I might, I might sound uh, bloodthirsty, but I think also that the lack of blood more recently, I think uh, more often than not, has affected these matches as well. Particularly, uh, I don't, I don't think every uh, cage match should have blood in. I think we'll we'll get to at least two examples I can immediately think of where there wasn't blood and those matches were still fantastic. But to to completely take away that when, as as Kim mentioned, you've got such a rigid structure to the to the cage match anyway. There's not much room when you ha- when you take away one of the make the key selling points one of the little tools you can use to try and get some heat in one of these matches and WWE just taking it away it's just like you're just tying their hands behind their backs PG cage match is like an oxymoron really so, yeah, yeah it really is but again that's the current lay of the land obviously through history that wasn't always the case and we've got plenty of uh, great battles to talk about here today we're going to kick it off with uh, one that got uh, almost as many votes as any other match Magnum TA versus Tilly Blanchard uh, Steve Bachenik on the Facebook page says the greatest steel cage match I ever saw was the I quit match between Tilly and Magnum for the US title at Starcade 85 absolutely brutal it told a fantastic story including how far Magnum would go to destroy Tully Mad Dog on Pro Wrestling Only says the same match to me. This is the cage match that all other cage matches should be judged by, which is why we're doing it first. Uh, the level of brutality and hatred is off the charts, and it paid off their feud perfectly. Uh, there were plenty of other people that just kind of chimed in and said Magnum and Tully, Magnum and Tully, Magnum and Tully. Uh, but again, in terms of what we just talked about, in terms of the blood feud, you know, the build-up to this was so great in terms of just the animosity between Tully and Magnum, and, uh, and it paid off in a, uh, a match that wasn't, by any stretch of the imagination, the uh, perfect catch-as-catch-can classic, as it were. It looked like a Bar fight. I was gonna say it's a bar yeah. fight in a cage. It's exactly a bar like fight that it. happens it's, to be in a cage. It's almost the idea of, of sort of caged animals, isn't it? And in, in the way that they would bite and claw at each other as well. Yeah. Tilly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tilly getting his arm bitten by Magnum after he blades the arm and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just fantastic. Rolling around the front, rolling around on the mat, grabbing each other's hair, and you know, just trying to get the thumb in the eye and stuff like that. It's just gritty, gritty stuff. Yeah, completely gritty, and there's nothing remotely contrived about it. Watching it again last night, I was just absolutely mesmerised by his performance as you said that, that it doesn't it, it managed to make me believe for a second that these two fucking genuinely hated each other that not, not just might have some backstage beef or something but these two fucking hated each other due to like the nature of how they, they worked the match as you said it wasn't pretty there wasn't many wrestling moves in there certainly wasn't any real like holds or anything or, or suplexes whatever it was just like even like the, the, very, the very start the very first exchange is basically like a takedown and it just like just I don't know, like a fucking schmoz on the floor. And it just seems, as you said, like a bar fight trapped in a cage. And just the, the absolute intensity of this match is it, just off the chain. I mean, the crowd the crowd are popping every time, you know, uh, Magnum farts. You know, it's just <laughs> like they're just popping for him. There's one so, point, though. Cause the thing is, it's not, it's, it's not, this is not the most heated cage match we're going to talk about here today no. in terms of mm. constant all the way through mm. heat. But there's one yeah. point in that match when Tully's just dropping elbows on Magnum. Yeah. And I look, after all the intensity that's built up to this point, the crowd just starts doing the stamp on the floor and the clap yeah. at the same. It's like they're, they're not prompted to do anything, mm. but they're so into it that they just, it's, it's just like this, this completely organic, 
like the surge of energy starts to build in the building. And then when Magnum makes his comeback, it's just right. fucking great. And and it's just and just also you know just little kind of details. I mean, like there were some details missing, but you know, commentary was pretty pretty awful. Oh yeah, to Tony to. and Coddle. This yeah. this is a very poor performance from yeah. Shivani. I, I was wondering watching that back. Had they? Taking some of the commentary edited out, it, edited it, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it, it was long. They just, just switch off. Anything mm. Shivani's talking about, it was a yeah. fucking microphone. Hey, he's hitting with yeah. the microphone. It, it was <laughs> no, <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, 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 oh. they, they were useless, oh. but you get nice little things like cutaways to uh, to, to Baby Doll and stuff, and she's like selling it really Hands well. Over she, the face. she looks horrified uh, for the majority of this match, which is like, which is something again in the last like ten years you don't see much of with managers. Sometimes they might look slightly concerned, but they don't look horrified. I mean, you just don't happening. see much of managers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But you don't see them like horrified as to what's happening to uh, you know uh, the, the the prodigy or whatever that, that they're using. But this this match it it just develops and develops and it gets more and more brutal. Like the blood's absolutely pouring everywhere. Magnum's ble- uh, bleeding just looks fantastic. Like the way he sells it, and and you just get to this bit like at the end where they, they, they throw the chair in the one chase, smashes it up, and he's got this spike right. So this this again this doesn't look too uh, pre. Pre-set up, you know, because he's smashing a chair, well, taking the a chair shot. Yeah, the chair's already broken. Yeah, <laughs> but it speaks that element of barbarism that we've all sort of yeah. touched on. You know, how basic and plain do you want to get in sort of graphic yeah. and this is just a guy with a piece of wood and he's just driving it into yeah. his head. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not like it's a specially crafted piece of wood that they've used. You know, it just looks like a broken bar leg, uh, like a, a chair leg. Sorry, and and just as he's like trying to stab it in, and it just looks so fucking real. And the camera camera gets him right in close. They're, they're not shy of, of showing this, and it gets him right in close. And I was watching this, like wincing, because it's going near his eyes, and it's just like a no-no. Uh, and and it's just this spike, it's like fork spike, is just getting closer and closer to his head. And it's like an inch away from his head, and it's just a moment. I don't know if you like picked it up, but there's a moment where I think like like Tully's like shifts his body weight a little bit, and Magnum doesn't quite expect it. And for a brief moment, there's a jolt, and the, and it goes. I swear to God, it goes within centimeters of his face, and I freaking almost had a heart attack because <laughs> I just I, I didn't remember the finish of the match, and just it's just fucking brilliant. And like you know, obviously he he you know Tully gets it away from him, jabs it into like Magnum. his uh, Magnum uh, gets the uh, to spike himself, jabs it into I believe the eye. Like he's trying to get into the eye of Tully, or at least the top of the forehead, and he's and he's just bleeding down, and just the finish is just fantastic. Just he's just he's just screaming yes, 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 as in just yes, I quit, I stop, and it's just this great moment. The crowd pops like crazy, and Magnum just turns, and he's got like the spike, and he's looking at him, and he's like, I'm gonna do it again. I'm picks gonna do his it head again. up in his hands. Yeah, he picks his head up. He's gonna do it again. And he just looks at him as he's still screaming yes, like <laughs> I quit, I quit. And he just looks at him, and he's just like, yeah, you're fucking done, and just throws him down. Throws the uh, piece of wood away, the just fuck slings out. the belt over his shoulder, <laughs> looks back, and just walks away. And just watching it go, you little cool motherfucker. <laughs> That's a fucking cool ass baby face. He just kicked, went in, kicked his ass, took his belt, and fucked off. Yeah, ca- Cowboy Bob would want none of that match, all that blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't think there's any other additions around the table in terms of is this anybody else's choice for favourite around this table? I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily my choice for favourite, but I I think it tends to be one of those forgotten gems, or at least it seems that way to me. Maybe, maybe the amount of feedback you, you have had suggests otherwise, but it's always one of those that I tend to think of as not 
not being held in as high regard as it should. Yeah, yeah that, that was just my perception of it. Well, like I said, we got we got mm. as much feedback for this one as almost any other match. So uh, this, this is pretty much in terms of levels of feedback, top three. So I'm very uh, I think, happy I think, to see I think that. it's at least a top ten. I think in most people, oh, I think, it's yeah, got to be a top ten. It's got to be, I think. Um, we're moving on to the second one. I also got a great deal of feedback here. Tigerick on the UK fan form says the Shawn Michaels Undertaker Hell in a Cell was almost the perfect match. The build from the HBK SummerSlam turn through the beginnings of DX and the chaotic no contest at Ground Zero was tremendous. The concept seemed barbaric going in, and it lived up to its billing with Shawn bleeding like a murder victim from being thrown into the cage and violently killing the cameraman. That was a fantastic setup for them to climb the cage, and without the benefit of hindsight, Shawn's fall off the cell and through the table was mind blowing. Just when you thought this thing couldn't get any more dramatic, Kane made one of the most brilliant and memorable debuts in company history, sold perfectly by a dumbstruck undertaker while Vinnie Mac screamed, that's got to be Kane, in one of the last great calls of his career. Michael somehow escaped with the victory and the outcome created the infamous Survivor Series main event and the Kane-Undertaker feud until WrestleMania. There were barely any matches that topped this full stop, let alone just cage matches. The Pied Piper on WrestlingForum.com says, Sean and Taker hell in a cell for several reasons. One of the three five-star matches between Taker and Shawn Michaels. That means the in-ring work and psychology need no explanation. Easily the best executed match in a hell in a cell concept for me. And it also has the greatest ending of any Hell in a Cell match ever with Kane debuting. Easily the best debut of a WWE wrestler ever and take his third most memorable moment in his career. Uh, Gayers Fook on the UK fan form says, I've talked to a lot of people who forget that it wasn't even a title match which I take as a strong mark of quality. The belligerent 97 HBK is of course the best HBK of all time. He's an absolute tooth and nail scumbag. An arse. Just a filthy scut of a human being that's still so good you hate the fucker for giving you the self-realisation that you need him in the top matches, that you still want to see him more than anyone else. You just hope that somebody kicks his teeth in. Taker's the perfect man to do that from the audience perspective, of course. And character-wise, 97 was also Taker's best phenom period. Kane's debut is the best debut ever. It is. It's so last minute, circus spooky, outlandish, yet perfect for what it was meant to be. Total WWE theatre at its absolute peak. The whole match is just perfection as well. The psychology of it is off the page. Sean's blade job is my favourite ever, and beyond that I don't think of favourite blade jobs because I don't really care about blood, but I care about the blood in this match. Sean hanging halfway up the cell, getting his hands kicked by Taker, and falling all Christ-like into the announce tables below is a religious iconography. It's one of my favourite slow-mo replays ever. That match rules. And uh, we are on the UK fan forms as a perfect example of wrestling being done 100% correctly. As has been mentioned, not just the best cage match, but perhaps in the top two matches of the company is ever put on and at the times Kane scared the piss out of me uh, I remember sneaking out of bed to watch the late Raw replay uh, after switching back and forth Friday night between Nitro and Raw to watch all of Raw uninterrupted then every time I see Kane and hear the organ music the house was in darkness and everyone was in bed I started to rethink things and that maybe I should be in bed instead but of course I had to watch him murder Flash Funk and the likes Heart Attack be damned without the nature of that match and the environment he debuted in Kane would likely never have meant a fuck and I guess that's a strike against this match for you Carl <laughs> but uh, yeah again hell in a cell Sean and Taker this is uh, this, if this isn't my number one it's very very close it's my number one yeah it's shockingly uh, so we've got Tiger Rick Gaius Fook and who uh, We Al We Al We Al and the Pied Piper and the Pied Piper and there were several others you just mentioned oh uh, well you've mentioned those I wouldn't say you, you four guys are you know particularly intelligent but there's definitely four less stupid people in the world <laughs> coming from him that's remarkably high praise <laughs> um <laughs> Everything about it just makes sense. It's just logical. It just works. You know, you've you've had sort of the, the, the emblematic stages of the, of the feud with the way the the SummerSlam title match with Taker and Brett pans out. 
the non-finish at ground zero I think helps play into it because you get the melee at the end as well it's that's it's that sense of you know Michaels is going to run so we've got to you know we've got to keep him you know, confined somehow it keeps Triple H and China out of the equation you know it keeps anyone else out of the equation in theory it checked into the ring before the match starts yeah. to prevent anything yeah. Yeah, he, even and I was going to say I mean, this match is so great it kind of you forget the fact that yeah they did get outside the cage yeah <laughs> which kind of kisses on the gimmick but, but, but no but, but I was just I was going to say even even the way they explain that you know the cameraman having to be a squad you know there's there's just simple reasons for it not just the fact it's, that the camera got injured but the fact they actually teased it early in the match with the camera getting in Sean's way on, a, on another occasion Sean turned his little hissy fits at the camera that he'd done before so he get the fuck out of the way and of course when it happens the second time that's when he gets mad it's like just the, just the nice little seed of, it, of what was going on completely plays into to Michael's character at the time you know being the uh, sort of belligerent whiny little pissant that he was he was a character <laughs> Yes, just just a character. You're right, Kieran. Wink. <laughs> the reason I love this match, for, among many other reasons, Did you say wink? because it's the perfect cat and mouse match, which is why I love this. Because Sean is, is the chicken shit mouse. Uh, straight, I mean, the, the first bump of the match is just awesome. He just takes a big boot and just fucking eats it. <laughs> and then that's like, this is great. <laughs> just the very before he even takes the first bump, where he's just looking around. Yeah, he's just oh fuck, looking around. Take This is where Taker's methodical nature is perfect because yeah. he's got he's, he's just got him and he's gonna kill him slowly he's just and walking he's, he's walking, walking slowly just running around. slowly destroying yeah. him and it's just spectacular because you know, all this great stuff you can do to Shawn Michaels and and, and Taker gets you know gets a comes a cropper by accident by when he throws Sean so hard into the cage that he bounces off and, and Taker goes in himself for, for the follow up clothesline and misses because Sean's bounced off and it's like and that's where you know, Sean the, the resilient Sean gets to kind of get his stuff in hits the super you know, right as the cameraman's being escorted out he hits the super kick Taker sits up and no sells him and that's when Sean decides well fuck this there's, <laughs> there's, there's no win in this match so I'm going to run for the hills again the, the, just the, the heat and the crowd for the, for the slingshots in the cage the battering round in the cage the stuff on top of the cell which was just amazing again everything about this the setup is perfect for it because there was there was a built-in reason for the match to happen this special cage that was going to be built and uh, and just when it, and you know, the great bump off the side of the cage which is just legendary yeah let, right. let's not undersell that bump because obviously events have happened since then that have sort of meant that that bump in many ways has paled in com- into com- in comparison but at the time you know I was bloody bug-eyed and absolutely shocked to see something like that yeah but it's, it's even it's like Sean is just so on fire in this and match. This has got to be Sean at his best. Like this, this might be ninety-seven yeah. Sean. It's one. Of the, yeah, it's one of the reasons why I love this match because ninety-seven Sean is my is again character-wise my favorite Sean as a worker. God, he's just a pinball, especially for the Undertaker. Oh god! I mean, when, when he goes to that table, Taker picks him up, throws him onto the other table, and then gives him a gorilla press to the floor from that table. It's like he just keeps taking these crazy bumps. The chair shot to the head right before. It looks like it's over. The crowd's pissing themselves, and then yeah, like as has been said, one of the best debuts in company history. For, for an angle that sounded like it was going to be utter dog shit on Raw for months before they actually did this, and it, it, it's just like wow, look how look how look how great the presentation of that was, and uh, and Sean rolls over and gets the pin. I've heard some people kind of hold hold that against this match in terms of not having a clean finish. No, no. yeah, and and and, and I'm, I can't get on board with that either. No. I think that it, for, for what it was, no, it was the perfect it, it, finish. It tells the perfect story. It's you know, and it maintains that resentment that you have towards showing. He got the fucker sh- got away with. He it. still <laughs> won. The bastard still won. 
yeah, tremendous match. And, uh, and if this is your number one, I certainly can't uh, and yeah, and also, disagree. Yeah, one of the greatest blade jobs of all time. Oh, guys, it's brilliant. Nothing, nothing beats dying, dead, bleeding Sean. Yeah, there's that one point when he's on top of the cell and the blood, the, the cameraman's right underneath, yeah. and the blood actually drops onto the lens, and he just screams, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like again, this 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 energy, the crowd's going ballistic. The energy of this match is just so good, and uh, and yeah, like I said, this, this might be my number one in terms of all-time favorite cage match. I just think it, it, it's true to the principles of what the cage match was in terms of its brutality. It's but it's also slow. It's methodical. It's just, the action's tremendous. I can't I can't gush about this match enough. A brilliant finish. I think it was a five-star match from Meltzer, and I'm inclined to agree. So uh, that's the uh, that's a tremendous candidate. We move to another one here. Where we're getting onto some of the uh, some of the better ones right away. War Games 1992 is the next one on the list. Stevie G 1980 on the UK fan form says an amazing collection of talent in one match and Nikita Koloff. Uh, a match with some wonderful little subplots woven within it and amazingly for WCW the faces win in a feud ending blow off after months have been made to look daft by a dominant group if only this was how the NWO was ended oh and the blood the blood fits perfectly into the context of the match with all the hatred in it possibly one of the most perfect matches ever and the best WCW ever presented Stuart Civitor on the Facebook page says my personal favourite was War Games 92 both teams were great you had Austin Rude Anderson Larry and Eaton on one side with a coach Paul Heyman with his playbook and tactics really making you think that he was a head coach. Against a team of Sting, Steamboat, Wyndham, Rhodes and Koloff, from start to end, just a great match. Uh, Amiga919 on the F4W message board says, this is probably one of my two uh, or three favourite matches of all time. Uh, Sklockazoid, also on the F4W board, says it was the perfect blow-off for the Dangerous Alliance versus Sting feud and everything I wish we got to end the NWO. After months of the Alliance, headed by Heyman's selfish vendetta against WCW, torturing WCW's babyfaces, they all allied to stop him. The whole Sting Koloff team up bringing the uh, team together, coupled with the Zabisco ending tearing the alliance apart, was perfect storytelling. So, uh, yes, War Games 92 here. Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance, uh, one of the more touted matches in WCW history, and rightfully so. Yeah, this one's uh, this is my number one. Uh, this, uh, this match is fucking amazing. I was just watching it again last night. Um, I could just watch it over and over again. Everything that everyone's just written down is is fantastical. Uh, you know, is, is absolutely right. You know, you you, you got you not got nine superb wrestlers and Nikita as well in there, and it's it's just it's just everything about this match I absolutely love. Not not just the fact that Dagent's alliance are, are just fantastic anyway, and as you said, it, like the story was actually developing in the right way. And Sting's uh, squadron was also, you know, uh, made up of of, uh, of great components. Where just even before the match starts, you're excited for what you're potentially about to see, and and just yeah, everything, even from like the beginning, even like stuff like the entrance, I just love and just memorize. You know, like we, we, we walking we, down yeah, single file. Yeah, we talk about entrances, and when, when we, we've talked about entrances before that are memorable. We're not talking necessarily like the big showboaty ones, but things like we mentioned, like um, Stone Cold at uh, Survivor Series '96 when he comes out from the uh, the, smoke. The, the, the smoke and and he just looks fucking awesome. This is the same thing with as you said, they're walking out single file. The camera moves from left to right as it's just got Medusa, Rude. Stunning Steve, Larry, Arn, and then Bobby and Paul taking the rear, and just they all look fucking badass. <laughs> just looks amazing, and just everything from from the game plan that they had, like the sheet, yeah, and, Aust- and Austin's trying to shield the the, the, the blueprints from the camera, like hey, you know, we're, we're busy planning here. There's, there's everything about it, and, and I think the one thing when I first watched it, which really got to me, is like with the war games, there's there's, there's obviously like a formula to it, and after a while, you could kind of guess who's going to be in first and what order everyone's going to come in and so on and so forth like 
you go into this match thinking, well, Arn's going to start the match first because I think that's actually one of the rules that they go <laughs> over when they tell you, like, oh, you know, your competitor comes in every like yeah. thirty seconds, or whatever, and Arn starts. You know, that's the last rule. But no, they completely throw like the rule book almost out of there, and they just throw in stunning Steve, who's the the fucking engine on him in this match. It's fucking phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing, and they throw him in there with Barry Windham, and just then, you, watching it, I'm just like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. So okay, they'll throw in Arm next. And it's like no, they throw in Rude, who you would expect to be the last guy, and so just it, it just constantly like you, you you're guessing wrong all this time, guessing wrong as I'm watching this match, and just someone different is coming in, and so it keeps it incredibly unpredictable. And just the match, just the action in it. As I said, Austin, Austin's work rate in this is absolutely phenomenal. He's 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 busted open. He's bleeding everywhere. His his, 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 his crown his crown for for biggest blade job during the match is only uh, taken away from him towards the end by Dustin, yeah. who's who's. If you ever want to hear of the proverbial crimson mask, this is it. You can't even see his eyebrows. You can't see like the the, the you know the the shape of his face. It's just like red and then two white eyes. You know the bits of his eyes on there. You can't see his fucking face. He's bleeding that much. And you just got even extra things on there, like like the the combination I never knew existed of Jim Ross and Jesse the Body Ventura oh, doing yeah. commentary. That's like a fucking like commentary hard on for me. It's just like two guys that I just uh, enjoy listening to, and there's just there's just everything to love. Sting comes in, does his flurry of offenses, just look great. Medusa's climbing up the cage, throwing things in. Just it just looks like it just looks fucking insane. That the cage is almost falling apart, it's sagging down in the middle. They've taken the ropes off and they're loose. There's blood everywhere. They've got their own blood. They've got other people's blood. They've got Bob Orton's blood all on them. There's just there's blood fucking everywhere. They're beating the shit out of everyone, and Sting's kicking everybody's ass. And stunning and stunning Steve Austin is still going. He's still running around doing offense. And just some of the bumps, it's just as you say, it just ends in the right way. It's just from beginning to end, just an absolute joy in work rate and just superb talent and Nikita Koloff uh, as a fan of unpredictable war games uh, was you also a fan of the TNA ones where they would bring the uh, the faces would have the advantage <laughs> what's, t- what's TNA G's commentary hard on notwithstanding um, no a, a, a wonderful match and the, you know, the talent you've got in the ring obviously speaks to that um, the only downside I would, I would also sour note I would ever have on this match is that it ultimately leads to the break with the alliance yeah, which, yeah. I, which I thought was, was far too premature yeah well this was the show when Bill Watts came in so he was doing all of his new plans and Dangerous Alliance was not among them was, so. he, was he wearing the hood I don't know if he was wearing the no. hood I don't know there's two great bits in a match which I just remember was fantastic there's one which is involving stunning Steve where um I don't know whether it's quite intentional enough, but I think it's Dustin that does it, where he, he, he lifts him up to do like the atomic drop, and Austin smacks his head on the top of the cell, then gets dropped down on his bollocks, <laughs> and then just to rub it in, Dustin clotheslines him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. only, only bettered by, um, only, only better by, by, by when Arn comes in. He comes in as number three, and he just instantly comes in, grabs um, uh, Barry Windham, DDTs him, runs into Ricky Steamboat, and fucking spine busts him, <laughs> fucking spikes him on the floor, and he just turns around and just goes, Yeah, that's your fucking team right there. Yeah. Double A. Double A is great. There's a, I, think it's Steamboat, awesome. I think it's Steamboat that holds Rude upside down while his head's between the two rings. Yeah. That's just hilarious. Great. The thing is, that this is the kind of action, the reason I love it is, it's, 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 I don't enjoy it necessarily for like the little things like that. It's just like the whole things from. It's like you can just, you sit back. This is perfect. This is perfect for what it is. The crowd's red hot. The baby faces are great. The heels are great. You couldn't ask. Turn buckle hook. Yeah, the turn buckle hook at the end. Larry the Cruncher ends up hitting his own man. Yeah, good stuff. 
We've got the three heavy hitters there. We're going to go into the next one uh, here from Air Raid on the UK fan form. He says, I'm going to reject the temptation to go with what I think is the best cage match ever, which is War Games 92, and go with my favourites ever, strictly storyline driven, and that's War Games 96. The NWO storyline was at its peak, and they had not over egged the pudding yet with the C listers or talent that added nothing to the group. This was the story that turned me around the corner for WCW, being an alternative and enjoyable product, and not simply a bargain bin for WWF wrestlers past their best before date, or talent simply not good enough to make the big time. It was fresh and interesting. And the idea that Sting might be joining Hogan, Hall and Nash felt huge, almost like it was odds that WCW couldn't overcome. The actual action, to be fair, is not the best you'll ever see, but the storytelling of Jeff Farmer as the fake Sting coming out, and the way the crowd deflates, only to be rejuvenated when the genuine real estate Steve comes out, is fantastic. And the way the Stinger comes in, beats the shit out of his enemies, then turns around to the comrades that, they, that doubted him, and said, you know what? Fuck you, buddy. It's a slice of realism in an era where babyfaces were often over the top chummy with each other, uh, right up until the heel turn. The NWO then scores a huge win before the sight of them standing tall over the beat and WCW crew had become completely passe. Most importantly, I love watching the match because it bleeds into the next night where we get m probably my favourite promo of all time. The only thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. The passion Stinger injected into that one was outstanding, and it led to a fascinating period where initially you weren't sure who he was batting for, and eventually the character transformed completely. Black and white, attacking without prejudice, Scorpion Death Drop Sting became my favourite character on the show, and the reason I tuned in most weeks. Fair enough, within a couple more weeks the NWO storyline was being diluted by Vincent's and Scott Norton's, and as Carl would say, the bloom was very much off the rose. But I'll still go back and watch that War Games match on a regular basis because I love the story told before, during and after, and it reminds me of a time when WCW, which I dearly miss, was actually producing a compelling show. So a uh, great argument there for War Games 96. I do love this match uh, as well myself. Finish with the uh, front face lock of Hogan yeah. on Luke is a little bit weak, but again, no. nitpick stuff here because uh, I, I love Arn coming out first again. Arn comes out first. It's the rule. It's the rule. To wrestle Roll. Scott Hall and man when he just punched him in the corner and he just punched yeah it's fucking double A it's Flair Flair's awesome and he comes oh. out and starts low blowing everyone and you know does his little dance come on come on it's three on one <laughs> come on and, and if I'm not mistaken it's it's in the Carolinas as well which, which also helps so that's, that's always a uh, you know a, a tick for it but um, th there are parts about this match I really like which you've touched on there, Liam. You know, double A starting and Scott Hall being involved. And I think it's good up to a point, and it it does pick up a bit more again when Flair's involved. But there's there's, there's the stretch where Hogan's in and <laughs> listen to and that I'm, voice like, turn. Like, about the match yeah. or just wrestling in general. Well, yeah, and, and I'm I'm not really sold on Luger in the match. If I'm perfectly honest, he, he's um, over huge. Yeah. Though, he's, you know? he's, he's he's over, but. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if, if we're going to go, yeah, if we're going on the basis, of, you know, so and so was over. Well, that means it was good. And that, no, that, no, that, that no. Doesn't sit but well. we're not necessarily saying best or same favorite here. I and mean, obviously, mm. like I said, it's no, it's, it's always time and, and place I, for a match. And, like I, this. And, I, and, I, and I can, I can perfectly understand that from the from the story perspective. It it it, it tells the right story, and obviously, what it then uh, evolves into with with the Sting character and. and the, the really good piece of business they do the following night where he doesn't uh, you know where he has his back to the hard camera is is wonderful I, I think that's oh, great oh the back to the hard yeah. camera and, that's and great I, and, I, and I can understand why someone would pick it on that basis but as, as, a, as a pure match to me there's there's bits about it I'm, I'm not keen on yeah I don't, I don't, I don't think it's certainly not as good as a, a 92 but I think it has its merits in there you know just outside of uh, you know Arn and Flair awesomeness I, th I think Luger 
whilst physically, you know, the only thing he kind of brought to that team was obviously the strength and the, and the power, you know, to try and try and do, to do those kind of, you know, keys to victory. Okay, you know, to do those kind to do those, you know, major spots and so on that they wanted to. But you know, obviously his, his key role was because you know the long-standing friendship he had with Sting. You know, they're using that as the angle and so mm. on to create the distrust and to lead to that 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 next night where Sting's like even his own friend didn't believe that he was on their side, and so it gives Sting just that extra reason to to literally turn his back on everyone. And I I enjoyed it for what it was. You know, I I think you know the pop when when Sting the real Sting comes out. It's just great, and he just proceeds to beat the shit out of everyone. Yeah. It's like a precursor to what we're going to get for the next, you know, year, year and a half. Months, yeah. yeah, you know, it's a stink and actually wipe all these guys out. However badass Nash and Hall have come across since they've been invading, Sting can just gazump all of them, and it's just and he just proves that, and then just goes fucks off yeah. and just walks away. And it was just like a great, right there, Lex. great yeah, right there, like yeah, you, you, you oh, I can't remember what he says now. Do you, was it, do you believe? Do you, do you believe me now? Do you believe me now? And it just like, yeah, fuck you. Just walks off, and it's just they're all just devastated. And then it's that great thing about without Sting, WCW crumbles. And again, it just all sets up like WCW needs Sting. Sting has to save WCW. It's such a shame. Like unlike uh, uh, <laughs> War Games '92, they didn't end it in the right way and yeah. actually have him be the the, the, the protector of WCW. Well, no, because I think the whole it's the whole setup for his character. It's it's perfect. They can't if he just came out and they won. And so what? Mm. Like, nice face. Yeah, it's yeah. like no, he's 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 the, one, he's the one who's different. He's on his own. It's and it's the whole setup for the as you say for the rest of the, the year. Well, up to Starcase, like he's the one. Yeah, and I know it's a beautiful setup. Yeah, um, and yeah, the, you got the the cool little thing of having Flair and Arn as baby faces in the war games is kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, But now in terms of the setup, he, he, they they had to win because it's like well. Fuck you guys! Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. Oh, in that and era got, when all the heels are trying to yeah. be cool and the faces were really <laughs> weren't. It's like yeah. stings are so, one. It's like oh yeah, fuck you guys. So <laughs> um, let's not. In terms of helping the match, let's not uh, sleep on on Bobby Heenan on commentary. Oh yeah, it was fantastic throughout. But, though I, I will state that uh, that the post match bit where Luger's crawling along the floor screaming <laughs> Sting's name, Sting, you know, was oh! was, was was definitely a, a B minus grade in the Vince McMahon school of ham. <laughs> I think it's like it was a bit like oh, come on, Stinger. <laughs> I like to think that's how he actually picks up the yeah. phone and calls yeah. him. Yeah. And, then, and then, like, Savage just comes out to try and assist. So you just, I think, it's shit kicked out of him. Yeah, he gets shit kicked out of him. thinking, why didn't he come out earlier? <laughs> when oh. Sting fucking bailed, why didn't, he, why didn't he run in the ring and, like, take over? Well, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a madman. He's a madman. Let's not sleep yeah. on the great uh, Arn and Flair promo on Nitro to set this up as well the week before when uh, when they thought that Sting had turned and Arn gets the serious promo and then Flair just comes in, hijacks a headset, goes, Can I talk? <laughs> and just starts fucking going off on one. And what are you going to use instead of the Bloomers? off the rose now I'm, I've just become a parody to these people yeah. I don't know Carl, old man Jones bingo uh, appropriately enough Carl mm. Night Row on WrestlingFall.com with one I wasn't expecting to come up but I'm glad I got a mention The Rock versus Mankind versus Ken Shamrock at In Your House Breakdown oh yeah this was a unique <laughs> match I'd never seen a triple threat match take place in a steel cage before and I haven't seen one since or if there have been more I certainly don't remember them I love the drama in this match with Mankind trying to be the friendly hero and forming alliances with Rock and Shamrock Rock giving no fucks about anyone and just being cool and Shamrock being the unpopular heel there were some cool spots at like the double abdominal stretch and Mankind diving off the top of the cage for an elbow on the rock and hitting nothing but the 
better math. But my favourite part of the match was the ending, with Mankind climbing up the cage and Rock stealing the win away from him by <laughs> pinning Shamrock before Mankind can hit the floor. It was one of the most creative finishes I've seen and I absolutely loved it. Mankind's reaction after the match, thinking he'd won before he found out he'd lost from Jaron King, was so funny and brilliant. And you can't forget about the hilarious pre-match interviews from Rock and Mankind. However, the biggest part about this match was how over the Rock was with the fans. He was undoubtedly the star of the night and the crowd ate up everything he did. This was the match where you knew he would go on to become someone truly special. The biggest spot of the match was the double people's elbow on Mankind and Shamrock and the crowd went absolutely bonkers for it. This was a show stealer, a really exciting match mainly for The Rock, although it was Mick that was carrying the match. I believe this was the second to last time that the classic blue mesh steel cage was ever used. Not, not only is this my favourite cage match ever, it's almost my favourite triple threat match ever as well. So uh, yeah, this is one, that, like I said, glad it came up because just the pop when Rock's music hits at the oh, start man. of that match, they're going crazy yeah. and the double people's elbow it's is a, glorious. It may have been the first time Jerry Lawler ever uttered the words bizarro world as well. Well, Thanks, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, put into context, this is coming up after SummerSlam where like it was so, we were so happy that everyone else in the world or at least MSG that night popped when Rock did the elbow on the ladder to yeah. Triple H. So like for, for us this is like this is the building that pride that yes our guy our guy's getting cheered by everyone else he's yeah. going to be a superstar and he comes out and yeah the double elbow is fucking beautiful and obviously this leads up to uh, you know he's going to be a star and, and this led on to that disappointment then when he goes bastard heel again yeah because that was the thing they hadn't they hadn't I mean people were cheering for him almost on their own volition obviously they'd thrown like bones in booking like he pinned the Undertaker in a tag match on Raw and stuff like that but I mean it wasn't like they were like they were going so obvious in the cheer rock cheer rock cheer rock which made it feel so yeah. great to be on, on, on uh, as a part of the ride so yeah very uh, interesting suggestion there, and I'm glad that one got a mention uh, Project Humanoid on the F4W oh sorry so as the email I mentioned, it's, I think he said it was the penultimate use of the uh, the blue cage. Where do people stand when it comes to the cage? Have you got a preference, or is it something you've never been particularly fussed by? Mesh. I always prefer the mesh. Mesh. I don't like escaping a cage. Anyway, I just prefer it when it's two guys beating the shit out of each other. So a mesh for me. I'm a fan of the blue bars, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm, I'm, I'm old school. Yeah, you're you're a early nineties WWF, yeah. and you need your blue bars. Yeah, yeah, blue bars. Carl. Um, the bars tend to give me, uh, you know, sort of take me back to some misdeeds in my youth, so I'll, I'll go with the mesh. <laughs> Project Humanoid on the F4W ball with another War Games match here. It says War Games 91. It's probably neck and neck uh, with a couple of others for me. Always preferred that one to the 92 version, though both are excellent. Uh, 91 is the... Uh, Poor the, Brian Pillman. The Pillman show, pretty much. He goes in there injured. Uh, st storyline injury with an, the injured shoulder and goes in first because he wants to get his hands on Barry Windham and the horseman who injured him the previous night on Saturday night. And... Uh, yeah, just just great stuff here with Pillman doing the whole match, bleeding, making his own comeback, and then Sid drops him on his head <laughs> with the power bomb that just fucking just kills him. Points against this one, perhaps for for audible spot calling from Big Sid and Rick Steiner in the corner. No, <laughs> those two men would never do such a thing. But great stuff. I mean, again, in the, in the vein, the energy on this one is tremendous. I do think ninety two might top it just because I, I prefer the finish. I don't like the El Gigante coming out and forfeiting the match on Brian's behalf because he can't answer the referee that's, that's mm, you know not, not for me but uh, action wise this is, uh, this is up there yeah what would the hunters have said if the Argentines had given up the Falcon Islands as easy as he did that night <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um, nice time with the nationality there it's, it's uh, it, 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 it's a good match that, that energy is there it, it is the Brian Pillman show it's it's a shame that Pillman has to nearly die in the process, thanks a lot, Sid. Yeah. Um, 
But for me, if, if I'm comparing it with 92, yeah, 92 takes it for me. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably say, say the same if I had to. Um, Thermo Links on the UK fan form say, I'd love to say that my favourite cage match of all time was the first I ever watched. Unfortunately, I can't, as about two months earlier I had the misfortune of watching two final lumps of shit battle it out in front of a hundred people in a leisure centre. Fast forward two months and I saw it, the match that I still go back and watch and still absolutely bloody love. The Steiner Brothers versus Money Inc. This was, and still is to me, the best tag team cage match I've ever seen, and it was nearly 23 years ago. As an eight-year-old, it absolutely blew my mind. I loved the Steiners, and hated that snobby twat, the million-dollar man. <laughs> uh, this was an epic struggle between two teams who were larger than life to a young one. Two-on-ones consistently happening with a partner desperately trying to get back in to help out. This match completely blew my mind, and even to this day, I absolutely love this match. Even the fact that IRS was involved can't lessen my love of it. <laughs> uh, victory on Pro Wrestling Only says another personal fave is the Steiners vs. Money Inc. from 93. The match is limited due to the era of no blood, but they work hard and have some unique spots. Believe Believe it or not, IRS actually outworks DBRC in this one. So uh, I, 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 I kind of don't get that far. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, it's certainly uh, it's an interesting point because this is a really good match, and it's a really good match because, and we're going to talk about another one like this shortly, I'm sure. Where again, because there is no blood, it's all about the escape, and the whole principle of the match is both guys have to have their feet on the floor to win the match. So obviously, you have at some points like you know, Scott Steiner getting out to the floor but then he can't really do anything because they can double team so he comes back in to save the double team and stuff like that and it's like you guys coming in and out but at no point do you have both guys on the floor at the same time and it just it builds and builds and builds to this great spot where you got I'm pretty sure it's Rick on the floor it is it's Rick on the floor IRS is coming over DiBiase's over on the other side DiBiase hits the, Scott Steiner's left for dead in the ring DiBiase hits the floor IRS is coming down the other side and Rick Steiner gets underneath IRS and gets him on his shoulders and like he's fighting to m- try and make it so that IRS's feet can't hit the floor while Scott Steiner's coming down on the other side and DiBiase goes over and he's punching Rick in the face and he's nailing him to try and get him to drop IRS and he won't it's this great dramatic struggle and then Scott hits the floor first oh, the, the place blows it's, re- it's a really good match it's, uh, it is very underrated when, when matches like this uh, get discussed but it's really good I, I couldn't remember but I'm remembering yeah. spots from it so yeah. yeah yeah. I, I couldn't remember but until you described yeah. that finish I remember that finish it is, it is, often, it is it. often forgotten but yeah, again it's a, the, the way that the, uh, the, the escape is used is very interesting mm. because uh, in a match like that I think it actually kind of works yeah. something creative like that yeah. something like that difference. really works yeah. uh, I'm actually going to uh, segue to another tag team cage match here that I really like myself Ronnie Sarnecki on the uh, F4W message board says my favourite was an MSG house show in July 1986 Bruno Sammartino and Tito Santana Tanner versus Randy Savage and Adrian Adonis. Around this time, the WWF was using the blue bar cage and having minimal blood. However, this match used the old school fence cage and Randy Savage's face was completely covered in blood. It was so different from what the WWF presented in their cage matches at the time. To this day, it's not only one of my favourite cage matches ever, but one of my favourite matches of all time. So uh, again, another really good candidate here in the tag team format because again similar to the previous one it is about you know both guys have to escape the cage and it was the kind of culmination of a tremendous feud with uh, Savage and Santana after Savage had won the IC title from Santana in I want to say February 86 uh, but yeah as we were talking before I think on a previous episode might have been last week actually about a fan whose first memory of wrestling was in 1986 WWF and the, the Santana Savage feud is just tremendous and it's, it's a great month to month booking where the first match you got in March ends in a DQ next month they come back no disqualification Savage attacks the referee and uses that the attack on the referee to get some kind of illegal pin on, on Tio Santana. So next month, what do they do to kind of counteract that? They bring in special guest referee Bruno Sammartino. 
that all goes tits up when Adrian Adonis gets involved. He starts beating up Tito, starts beating up him. So they set up a tag match. The feud escalates. It's, it's, it's Bruno and Santana against Savage and Adonis. Ends in a count-up win for the heels. How do you counter that? It's just, it's just this layer upon layer upon layer. How does it end, obviously? Tag team match in a cage. And you get this, uh, this, this, again, not one of those matches where you can look at and say, it was great for this spot, this spot, this spot. It's a great kind of fight atmosphere in the cage. But uh, it's just a tremendous finish where San, you know, Savage comes off the top of the cage, lands on Adonis, and then Bruno goes out the door while Santana climbs over the top the heels are dead in the ring covered in blood and it's like that's the definitive end of the feud no one had to get pinned and it's just it's marvellous it's marvellous it's like that month to month great WWF booking that I love where everybody gets protected but things escalate and it does pay off at the same time so this is a good candidate for me I'm interested though because tag team cage matches are a bit of a rarity now but I I like that format I think that could really work if they did it today yeah, I'm trying to think now of any other cage matches. I think I roughly remember Hardy's one, but that's about Hardy's it. Edge and Christian at Unforgiven Hardy's 2000, Edge which was yeah. a really good match. Yeah, yeah. I, said, I can't recall many others. It's yeah. I, I like um. I like I. They have done obviously. Uh, they've done a more recent obviously tag team match in Elimination Chamber and stuff, and I don't think they've done it in Hell in a Cell. No. But yeah, it's 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 a concept at least in the cage match that they. Yeah, that would be quite fun to do. The whole the whole aspect of both of them have to go over at the same time. Yeah. Is is a you know that's that's a little mini gold mine that they haven't like tapped into yet. I'd agree. Particularly with uh, a much more bigger emphasis on uh, tag teams these days. So we to another one. We got a lot of uh, a lot of. <laughs> it's, it's growing it's getting there yeah. Yeah. Give, it, give it time give it time moving to the one here they got a lot of uh, nominations Cobra Gorda on the UK fan form says the six man Hell in a Cell from Armageddon 2000 for me I was 15 at the time and stayed with my younger brother to watch it I love how they built the match up through the course of the pay-per-view with the clips of previous Cell matches the Taker interviewer is describing how much damage did to Shawn Michaels at Bad Blood and Vince trying to get the whole thing called off it created a genuine sense of drama that I totally bought into the match is expectedly utter chaos in the finest variety with three separate scraps going on at any one time but there's some great wrestling going on in the ring while folk having their faces scraped against the cage on the outside. Uh, The crowd is suitably hot throughout, but I remember being convinced that the match was definitely going to go outside the cage and hoping somebody would go off the top. When a man uses the truck to rip the cage door off and bedlam ensues, mid-teenage me was on the edge of my seat. The spots on the cars are a great touch and I still love the replay of Austin smacking Triple H with the camera. Uh, When they started climbing to the top, I stood in anticipation, but I never expected it to be Rikishi taking the big bump off the top. There's plenty of tension leading up to the finish too, with multiple near falls, making it a great mix of madness and storytelling. This one match encompasses my memories of the Attitude Era, with blood, crazy brawls, mad spots, and big bumps along with five of the greatest superstars of all time in Rikishi at their absolute peak. <laughs> I bloody love it. Uh, Kid Chris on the UK fan forum says the same match. It was packed full with top talent and filled with everybody going crazy, breaking out of the cage, and creating a lot of mess for the cleaners in the morning. However, my favourite bit of this match is when a truck filled with hay and crash mats comes to the edge of the cell, and the biggest lad in there in terms of weight, Rikishi, takes a bump as first off the cell. Never in my 20 years watching wrestling have I seen someone take such a perfect back bump before or since this match. Uh, want to be honest, I don't even remember the winner, just that gigantic ass falling into the hay. <laughs> uh, and I've got one more here from Pink on the UK fan form. He says, I still remember rumours of the six-way Hell in a Cell going around school all through the week when it was announced. A fair number of people had the internet at home by that point, and a decent proportion of them knew where to read the raw spoilers from Tuesday morning onwards. This, began, uh, this being wrestling in school, you couldn't actually trust anything but definite until you saw it with your own eyes on Friday night when Raw was broadcast. I've been stung too many times waiting for Austin to come back and start a new stable with The Rock and the Hardy Boys to believe that they were actually going to do a fucking six-man hell in a cell. It just sounded like the kind of thing a schoolchild would book. 
Anyway, I sat up to watch Raw and fuck me sideways without actually doing it. I was 13 years old and hadn't known excitement like it since Paul Rideout scored against Man United in the 95 Cup final half a decade earlier. Uh, wrestling was probably a year or so past its peak popularity with our age group, but I specifically remember all the Laps fans losing their shit and swearing they were going to stay up and watch it live. I'm talking about Scallies who paid for the football team as well, not just the normal wrestling gimps. <laughs> the match didn't quite live up to the impossible hype, and even at the time I thought Rikishi's sawdust bump was a cop-out. But as said above, it is five of the Attitude Era's greatest characters all within a year or two of their peak interacting inside Hell in a Cell, and it was awesome. I need to go back and watch it again soon. Now, it's funny because I, I think this match has, has been mentioned on, on a previous podcast we did. I, I can't remember the context of it. I, I apologise. But I got the impression from that that it was, it was a bit of a, a Marmite match, if you like. Some loved it, others hated it. I, I've always personally enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's in the plus you know, for me. D- definitely in the plus. And I, I know so, some people have sort of cropped about the ending because it, you know, it doesn't make Kurt look the strongest that he could. I had no problems with Kurt getting the, the win in that manner, the, the scummy pin. I was absolutely fine with that. Um, the Rikishi bump, again, there's been critiques of that in the past. You know what? I'm not going to criticise anyone for falling backwards off a cage. I don't give a shit if there's a crash mat there or not. Because I sure as shit wouldn't do it. Um, the crowd of heart, you've got the sort of the, the the side act, if you like, with with Vince and Foley and the Stooges, which <laughs> you know, the Stooges always make any can well not anything. No, bear in mind, King of the Ring, but you know they tend to help more than they hinder things. And yes. for me, just a, you know, is it going to be remembered as an out and out classic? No, but just thoroughly enjoyable. Well, if you won't criticise the Bombay well. <laughs> in every way that like Sean's and then Foley's bumps were like organic and natural it was so contrived and I was just probably regretting that Sean wasn't involved at the time but I see what you I mean I can understand that I it was, it's the aspect of they know they've got to do a big bump yeah. so let's come up with the safest way which isn't necessarily yeah. the worst thing in the world but because it was so contrived Vincent Man pulling a giant tractor <laughs> to, to the was ring that, was this the third Helen and Sal then? no they didn't they didn't settle by this point okay. well well, they'd, 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 they'd been one that they had they'd been one or two that they, you know, they didn't don't want to mention anymore or take but, a boss man so by the, but by the point is by this point it's like will anyone ever stay inside that fucking cell? yeah no one ever did at this point so, they always got yeah, out. Just, yeah. I think that's the problem I had. It was just a bit cliched for me at that point. Mm. It's enjoyable. But it, it did feature the great Rock Austin stare down moment, yeah. though, which I, which I, I remember watching that. It's like if they headline WrestleMania, wow. that match is going to be huge. Because at that point, Austin coming back off the injury for a year, Rock being as hot as he ever was, like this. I mean, it's, it didn't even feel like oh, we did this two years ago. It's like no, this needs to happen. These guys are so much hotter than they were. At least it felt that way. Uh, two years on the eyes meet across the ring like star-crossed lovers <laughs> and they made magic together <laughs> maybe maybe my maybe my my general opinion going into the match might have been slightly dented to the fact that I just had to sit through Chris Benoit versus the one Billy Gunn uh, for the intercom <laughs> at, at least but, the right but, guy won at least the right guy won I guess well. yeah, but, 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 but the fact <laughs> but the fact that I still had to sit through it um, I, I, I don't know there was, there was something about the match at the time where it, it was just a general disappointment and I don't know whether it was just I didn't. I actually on this one occasion I didn't like the fact that there were so many people like around. I, I usually I kind of like you know particularly it's considered my favourite War Games '92. I, I um maybe just at the time as sixteen years old I, did, I didn't like I, I didn't want to gauge too much into like the six people fighting at the same time. I wanted to kind of like be more concentrated. 
I also did have a problem with with the with the, with the spot where Rikishi it does come across con, uh, contrived, and and it does actually bring into question why on earth would the WWE need a truck full of hay uh, at their events because there wasn't a pig pen match or anything. It's all Obama. <laughs> wow, that's explained. Psychology one hundred and one. You know, so so impressive uh, that he took it nonetheless, but. It, it after the follow-up of like Shawn Michaels, which is a, a long-forgotten incredible bump, and, and Foley's uh, let's face it, reckless but spectacular bump. It was a bit of a, it, it was quite a bit of a step down, and and after this point, where the whole attitude era was always about um, the escalation of um, spots, you know, like you know the Hardys and Dudleys being escalating the ladder matches and so on. Shane and falling from 50 yeah, yeah, exactly. You're seeing all these big spots, and then you just see something that's just not bad but just not quite as impressive it just put a little down on what potentially could have been like oh my god everyone's going to go flying off that cage uh, you know Rock's, Rock's going to you know like when, when the, the one lad was saying as a kid like he was imagining like Rock and Austin Hardy's being attacked him That's, that just perfectly just says what like children's minds were like at the time like yeah. what kind of grief you, you think like going into a match like oh but you watch The Rock is going to hit a rock bomb off the top of that cage on Triple H something like that when you've got six people in the Hell in Cell and you've seen two people in the Hell in Cell like Undertaker and Mankind doing crazy shit you think well it's going to be like that but it's going to be six well it's going to be three times over that's how they saw but, the match but so. yeah but but you, you didn't quite get that and so I just remember at the time just being a little disappointed that there wasn't as much there wasn't as much memorable action in it as that potentially could have been. We move now to it. another one of the obvious ones that got mentioned quite a lot here. Kendo Nagasaki on WrestlingForum.com says, Watching SummerSlam 94 again the other day, I've decided Owen vs. Brett is my favourite. So many cool almost escape spots, and the crowd went apeshit for it. Lee123 on the FOW board says the same match. The escape spots were ripped. The escape spots were really ahead of their time and the match was perfectly paced. Adam Bomb 87 on the FOW board says, I agree 100%. I love the Bret and Owen cage match precisely because it wasn't following the typical blood splattering cage match formula. They both just wanted to escape and be the world champion. Oswald the Endswald on the FOW, on a, sorry, TPWW form says, It was an intense match and yet was quite technical for a cage match. It was gripping to the end with many near escapes and even had a who's gonna win feel right to the end. Uh, Dave Wadding on TPWW says, Bret and Owen is the winner. Uh, great story near a year of build up classic matches before this one great chemistry I don't know about anyone else but I do not like cage matches that end in a pinfall escape finishes are the best uh, Harmonic Generates on the UK fan form says I'd also mentioned the Brett vs. Owen cage match from SummerSlam 94 which is another one of my favourite ever matches I first saw it about 10 years after the fact and it still completely drew me in and did so again the last time I rewatched it last summer it's as good as wrestling gets I love that match uh, a little while ago here at SCG, almost a year, we did a show talking about the best, or, or our personal favourite choices for the best SummerSlam matches of all time, and uh, we did a kind of a uh, cumulative voting around this table, and if I recall, Carl, this was your number one match in SummerSlam history. It was uh, up there overall, wasn't it? It was up there overall, so... Uh, Three, wasn't it? I think it was number four, if I remember right, number four, I think it was four, uh, but yes, so... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Carl, oh, better know in, this is your time to That's... wax. That sounds wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Without question, my my favourite uh, my favourite cage match where it's got the escape element to it. That sounds like one hell of a cop, a cop out. <laughs> I appreciate, but but you know, in that in that context, it, it's certainly one of my favourites. It, it would definitely be in uh, in the final reckoning if I could decide on one. But you know, given my age, I can be quite indecisive. Um, 
I even I love the, the pantomime nature to it at times as well. I know that's not necessarily. Oh, in diving with yeah, arms extended. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not necessarily what you what you initially look for in a cage match, and it's certainly a completely different context to the earlier ones we've talked about in the Hell in a Cell matches as well. But yeah, that image of Owen just diving for the door and just falling short was was fantastic. I thought, you know, there's enough drama. Yeah, there's plenty of drama in there with the with the near escapes, and, and there is that sense of because of what's gone on before with us seeing Owen beat Brett cleanly at Mania, you, you did wonder, Jesus, could Owen actually win this? You know, that there's, you know, there's enough, there's enough sort of credible doubt there, if you like, and. You know, to have the hearts at ringside again, and and point your finger at me. Anvil is superb throughout, as as almost like the court jester stirring the pot, clotheslining bulldog over the rail. <laughs> and I, I I don't think Diana knew anything about that. Bulldog just takes her over for that's the ride. Awesome. That's what makes it great. You know? um, Bulldog looks awful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he does. His look. Oh, his look. It's Sigourney Weaver perm. <laughs> his perm is like suede <laughs> waistcoats with no shirt and jeans. Is he, is he wearing like, a fanny pack? No. He someone's wearing, someone, a, fanny someone's wearing a fanny pack. A sandal. Wearing a fanny pack. <laughs> that might be. <laughs> is wearing like leggings yeah, and, a, black and, and, a, and a bum bag black yeah. and blue striped leggings <laughs> yeah. with tennis shoes yeah, all, right the, the, all the heart wardrobe. all the hearts yeah. scaling the cage yeah. at the end to get in to protect Brett after he's been beaten down yeah they were, they were definitely um, uh, 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 Davy Boy and uh, uh, Jim Nidor definitely uh, showcasing the spring collection of the beefcake uh, uh, fashion catalogue it's um, what happens when you leave them alone in Tampa for a few days <laughs> it is <laughs> <laughs> this 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 match uh, this for a long time this is my favourite cage match. Um, th- oh, this is fantastic. When I talked about earlier about you know th- th- taking blood away, uh, I think hinders the gimmick of the match. I said there was a few exceptions where um, blood wasn't needed due to just the right time, the right people, the right storyline. And this is numero uno example of this because just uh, the Brett Owen feud, which was so good all the way through. Um, just kind of ends like like brilliantly in this, in this fashion, and just the way the way the way they went about it. As you said, we we commented on uh, all the hearts being at ringside and bulldog and anvil. And so, what's anvil doing here? You know, he's just and he's just looking a bit like uh, a bit seedy. Uh, he's up to he's up to no good. You know, <laughs> he, yeah. he's always fresh like, out of steam, drunk yeah. from somebody else's yeah. bathroom. I assume. <laughs> that man has a fanny pack. He cannot be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's looking seedy as hell, and and just also just like the the promos that were leading up to you know Bret Hart does. I think it's the one earlier in the night where he does talks about the one about when he reminisces about when Owen was a kid looking and he's looking o- over the crib looking at him he says you, that you're going to get that exact same feeling later tonight when I'm climbing over the cage looking down on you and you're all beaten and so on and so, just that, hope you can live with it yeah great just great time. little bits like harking back to this and, and, and you know if, if you read like Brett's book as well like he goes into more detail how, how far they went uh, with the kayfabe and whatever it's it just just the story of the match is just fantastic. I mean, you talked about like Owen Hart's, you know, uh, I'd say probably an A minus on the on the ham, on the ham scale of this sort of just a, just a leap in the flying or or a time. It wasn't flying doing a Superman pose. He he would do the scurry. 
He would yeah, just yeah. go the cross and then leap, and like every time, just Brett would catch the foot and drag him There's back. There's one in. point where he just, he just they, they keep doing it to each other, and Brett just mounts him and starts beating yeah. the fuck out of yeah. him. So it, that's my favorite just, part of the whole match. It's just great, and just uh, you know, and it's just always great where they would suddenly then they'll stop doing that. So they then decide that like one of them will try and climb over over the top of the cage, and so they'll do something over there, and it's like that's not working. So Owen will try and scurry out of the cage again. Like and it's just constantly back and forth. Like how is this going to happen? How, who's going to escape and how they're going to do it and it's, it raises so many questions as to as to what's going to happen and and just the finish is great Owen, Owen's foot gets caught in, in, in the cage and is dangling and Brett just leaps down and just the, comes in yeah, the, the, yeah the, the, the post post angle as well is just fantastic as well just, just the whole presentation and he just it just generally came across particularly with the post angle as well just just like a family at war and you, and you just got that and, and it wasn't necessarily just like a war where it was like I just hate you I just hate you it was more it was, it was all about pride it was Owen's pride was dented he doesn't <laughs> like the fact he's in Brett's shadow and he's taking it out on him it's a very spiteful petty family feud that was, that that was the just charm of Owen yeah and the, that, the, the brat little brother yeah and that's just why he was so great it wasn't just necessarily these two guys were trying to kill each other hence why there was no blood in it because they didn't want to kill each other it was just a petty family feud where one was trying to get better than the other it, 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 I thought it was fantastic now this is also to some a bit of a Marmite match as well there are some people that don't like this match quite as much and think it's overrated because it's 30 minutes of the same type of thing and some people don't like the fact that this brotherly war didn't involve that kind of violent aspect and if I recall Kieran you were kind of along those lines right yeah Carl steal the microphone well well, these people want to hear my voice it doesn't matter what you say about this you're wrong um, yeah, I've always been underwhelmed with this Old people on Twitter care what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Are you up? <laughs> Double my numbers. It's a sign the elderly are getting onto Twitter, nice. Um, yeah, I've always been underwhelmed with the match. I didn't see it, obviously, live at the time, so I heard a lot about it, then watched it back, and it is, for me, it's it's very one-dimensional, and it's not what I want in a cage match. I want some A cage match, for me, should always be brutal. And that this dynamic, of, yeah, obviously, given they probably couldn't do blood... It's, it's just, it just never, never piqued my interest as like a really great match. Um, I mean, the super crotching off the top aside. Yes, that is brilliant. I mean, that you know, I will watch it again infinitely just for that one spot. But yeah, it's not not what I want out of a cage match. I will say that. Yeah, I, I, when it has that kind of divergent feeling, I can certainly understand. If this is your favourite, I understand why. But if it's not, I can I can certainly kind of see the argument against it too. So. Get into another couple of uh, more random ones here. Ambulance Chase on the UK fan form says, Hogan, you're running scared and you lost your cool. This is Hulk Hogan vs. Boss Man from Satellite's main event 1989, he says. I watched this match so many times on VHS, I think it was on one of those Hulkamania compilation tapes. Anyway, Boss Man comes out looking like the fucking man. But before Hogan, we have a surprise. It's Zeus, who, bearing in mind, I watched this when I was six or seven, scared me half to death. I didn't think he was human. Massive pop for Hogan, who does what Hogan does for a lot of the match. Sells without dying he's the best in the business unreal level of athleticism shown by boss man here what an effort by the fat cop at the midway point boss man tries to escape hulk bites him and fucking suplexes him off the top of the cage that's over 600 pounds of belly and steroid abuse falling to the mat from the top as a kid i think i piss myself with excitement crowd goes nuts both guys actually sell this for ages there's no nipping up into a tornado ddt here no chance Hogan handcuffs Bossman to the ropes and makes his escape over the top. Slick comes in with a key as Hogan scrambles down. Bossman is bleeding. The tension is almost unbearable. Hogan drops and wins. Bloody fantastic. This feud was 
great and did very well at the box office. One of Hogan's best opponents and probably in my top three Hulk matches. So uh, praise here for the Hogan Botman Satellite's main event cage match that uh, we were referring to, I think, uh, a, a podcast or two ago, actually, Carl. But uh, this rank up there with one of your favourites as a Hogan fan. I think former Hogan fan is a more <laughs> appropriate way to phrase it. Um, it's it it is a it's a, a it is a fun match. The um, Zeus introduction, notwithstanding, I can't ever claim to have been a big fan of that, or his uh, or his chops, <laughs> or his cross eye for that matter. His choke, or his choke. Infernal <laughs> <laughs> uh, choke. Uh, other than that, he's fine. Um, but yeah, the, the one thing that always stuck in my mind about that match was just how long they sell that suplex spot in the <laughs> ring <laughs> for an absolute age. But but yeah, it, it, it is fun. It's you know, it's almost your, your, your typical Hogan in peril sort of sell job. And you know, Bossman was was a really convincing heel at the time. And yeah, just a, a, it's almost when you use a, a phrase like sort of fun little match, it almost sounds like you, you know the old pat on the head, patronising sort of <laughs> way to put it. But that's, that's all I can think of. You know, it was, it, it's not an ultimate classic. It's not dog shit either. It's just, it's just a, a fun match. Yeah. Um, CKKJ14 on the F4W board says the first elimination chamber match remember the first time setting eyes on that structure and just being in awe then you had a bunch of great workers in a match at MSG with Sean's heroic title win it just felt perfect Daminate on TPWW forum says I enjoyed the first ever elimination chamber match for the world heavyweight championship at Survivor Series 2002 so many great contenders lots of intense action and I like I'm sure many others as well lost my fucking mind when Sean won the belt I know it's not really part of the question he says but I feel I must point out how absolutely atrocious both JBL versus Big Show in the barbed wire steel cage was and uh, the extreme elimination chamber for the ECW World Championship at December to Dismember were. No amount of Men in Black style memory erasure uh, could ever make me forget either of those disasters. I, I feel it's only appropriate that uh, given that it's Kieran's boy with the bob haircut uh, winning the belt that he should have the, uh, the first take on this one. The Brian Pants... <laughs> the Bob, the fact that Sean returning and winning the title should have been a big fucking deal. Yeah, and it was just you know, in a match of six of the guys. It um, felt very just. That's the thing. It's like it was very jarring. I just didn't expect it. I, I, I honestly believe it's like so. Sean's not winning this one because he's a part timer, and then he wins. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because he's a part timer. So I, I didn't get that huge moment of elation. I don't think you did either. No, we watching. We were just not. asking questions, weren't we? Yeah. Oh, just them brown pants. <laughs> That's not Shawn Michaels. What's he? What was he thinking? What was he thinking? And he was skinnier legs as well. Yeah. And he's just oh, Shawn. But it's it's a reformed Shawn Michaels. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, so where's Brown? What's that about? And the Bob. What? What? He he got off the drugs. That's he what happens. Drugs. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. A little bit of code, okay. <laughs> Just the odd line. Yeah. Tata Tully Blanchard. <laughs> What's that there? Screeching. Oh. <laughs> um, but we, we sort of mentioned earlier about the context of a cage match and the way, you know, a, a logical reason for, for a cage match happening. Now, this didn't... this wasn't necessarily the, the culmination of the big singles feud that led to it but I, I always appreciate the fact that at least there was sort of a, a rhyme and reason to it. it it's Bischoff as the GM of Raw having not been in the post that long really what we're talking sort of four or five months 
and he's trying to outdo Stephanie you know in, term, in terms of this sort of Raw versus Smackdown conflict which is the better show so I always appreciate the fact that there was, a, there was at least some logic behind it. it it wasn't what we've come to know now where they just sort of throw it out there and you know at least the, the individuals involved were intertwined in some form you've got Van Damme who was screwed out of the belt at Unforgiven you've got Kane who was screwed out of the belt at No Mercy obviously obviously Sean's the real story and Jericho and Booker in there for some reason but, you know you know, <laughs> but you know, it's it had it. It's sort of it's sort of cool spots as well thrown in there. The the Van Damme Spider Man spot always you know got a, got a nice pop at the time and, and sort of stuck in the memory. You know, Triple H gets his throat crushed, which is always, which was a particular bonus during that point. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the, the start of the real sort of dark period of Triple H just killing everyone left, right, and centre. So I uh, I always took a bit of perverse pleasure out of seeing him. You know. Seriously hurt that night. Um, a kind man, you turn out to be. <laughs> well, um, the only thing that really got on my got sort of got on my goat, let's say, <laughs> at the time, was Van Damme being eliminated first. What a surprise that was! Yeah, yeah. should have come as a surprise to no one, but yeah, really rankled me. Um, yeah, I, I really liked this match. It'd probably be in my top five. It's 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 probably your fave five. My fave five. Um, it's it's well, probably just because of the, um, I, I believe there was build. You you mentioned um, you mentioned about like uh, at least three of the the opponents in there had had beef with Triple H over the last like like three months preceding to it, and and Booker T certainly going to have a lot of beef with him going forwards. And Jericho is there just to make it so it's not just a, a bashing of Triple H, which really is what it should have been. But the, the, I remember this concept. It's all the components put together. Being in Madison Square Garden, I thought was was a big uh, component to this of uh, like it, it having like a big kind of uh, feel to it. Just like the the presentation that they brought at the time, you know, where they're running like the, all the video saying like the, the two miles of chain and and uh, so and so of, of metal and 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 so on and so forth. To the point where they were just showing you like uh, like those kind of uh, graphical effects of what it would look like, but you think you you're waiting for it. You want to say, oh, well, what's this going to look like? And when it's there, it looks massive. It looks way bigger than the Helmet Cell. This is going to be it. I was still believing RVD was going to win the title at some point. So I, I thought this was it. So obviously my surprise <laughs> when he's eliminated first. So then it all became about Sean. But, um, but, but I thought the match was great. You know, obviously RVD, Jericho, uh, HBK bring the kind of like the fast pace, high flying kind of nature to it. Yeah, you, you got uh, Triple H, Booker T to ground everything, and you even have like a, a kind of nice moment for Kane as well, when he's he's just kind of choke slamming everyone. He looks really dominant. I think this is one of the best displays of Kane outside of his his initial introduction, where he, Kane looks like a monster. It looks like an absolute beast. I popped for the finish because one, I wanted Triple H to get away the belt, and also I wasn't expecting Sean to win. So it was a bit a, a pleasant surprise, even if he was wearing you know the shitty trunks, uh, the shitty tights and stuff, which which did kind of mar it a little bit. Not just the haircut, but the tights. It's just like, it's. I just kept looking, thinking like, well, if you're not going to fucking make an effort, you might you might as well just put the jeans on, just leave the jeans on like you did at SummerSlam. At least at least that's something. But the, the, these 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 tights with these black fucking knee pads and the the cowboy boots, the brown boots. It's just it wasn't a good look, Sean. You mentioned SummerSlam and the majesty of that match. Mm. And it's like you could encapsulate that again for for one last go at the title, yeah. And it would have been just absolutely perfect, and the story would have been beautiful. And it was just a massive waste opportunity for me. This was the only elimination chamber match that got a vote. Is this the fa- what's anyone's favourite chamber match? Very quickly, because this isn't mine. I actually prefer the one with uh, 
with uh, Orton, Batista, and Triple H when they did the one in Puerto Rico that time, and it was just like it was, and, and Jericho, Benoit, and Orton, and sorry, and Edge, the other guys in the match with Sean as ref, and it was like fucking it, the action was absolutely unbelievable. It had that great, this was right in the middle of the uh, Batista turn where Batista gets eliminated by Orton, and then Triple H gets up to make the save and then sits back down yes. and lets him get pinned, and then Batista helps Triple H get the win in the end by by attacking Orton. It's like that was so, I love that match. That was so good. I thought that was the best Chamber by far. Um, per- personally, I still, I still, I think the first one's still the best, just because obviously at the time I didn't know what to expect, so my memory of it is probably much more heightened because it was, it was more of a spectacle at the time. I think the SummerSlam 03, which I haven't seen for a would while, would have been if the finish was. It would, yeah, would have been. I was going to say it's it's yeah. it's a gr- it's a great showcase for Goldberg for the most part, mm-hmm. and and the, and the crowd are responding to him in in a much more positive fashion than a lot of WWF crowds did during Goldberg's run. But you, I just, I don't think there's any way you can get away from that ending and the sour taste it leaves. I think it just really puts a dampener on it. Um, I struggle with picking a, a sort of what I'd consider the a, a best chamber match because my my memory's a little bit hazy on them in the sense that it's it suffers from the way that Helen and Cell suffered in later years. It's that point in the cancer, the pay per views elimination chamber. So let's have a chamber match or let's have two chamber matches. Yeah, they all sort of merged together, so I have, I have difficulty picking what I think would be. Uh, I thought it was a natural fit for Survivor Series, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think it'd be, it would have been a nice way, in, in retrospect, to transfer away from the tag match, yeah, from the survival element of tag matches to surviving the chamber, if you like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that would have been a, a, a nice way to sort of yeah, work more towards that. But yeah, they they just the way it became such a sort of nonsensical. It's you know, it's February. Here you go. <laughs> it just it, you know it. it I killed the gimmick. Outside of that, the, on, the honestly, the only other one I remember, uh, like um, moment for moment, is the New Year's resolution or revolution. Sorry, um, 06 and that's only because Edge yeah, catches in at the end. That's the only reason. I just remember like Kurt being eliminated first, which is like, bullshit, and Sean I think was like two or third, second or third elimination as well. So it just ended up being um, Chris Masters and Carlito against Cena. That's a winning combo. <laughs> Um, that's, that's, I wonder who's but, going over but, there. But, but the thing is, but, yeah, like but the thing is, talk about killing the suspense of a match. But the thing is that that's that's the only other one I remember. It, Generally, not a fan of them anyway, because I said mm, you've, yeah. you've one winner, five losers, and it's, that's just nonsensical booking in my mind. <laughs> um, the Goldie one I did enjoy because it was until the end it was like wow finally we got Bill Goldberg. So that probably stands out more than the others. Although I, I, I completely forgot about the Evolution one. Um, yeah, that's a great. That one. was good stuff. Yeah. Uh, we'll move along now to another much lauded match. Undertaker and Mankind, King of the Ring 98, obviously had to be mentioned here. Smelly Meatball on TPWW form says, Hell in a Cell at King of the Ring 98 for both of its historical reasons and the match being great in establishing the cell as both being dangerous and the go-to match for ending big feuds. Luke Moore on the Facebook page says, uh, the same one, uh, and one of the earliest memories of wrestling for me. It was brutal and violent, a true spectacle, and it stayed with me ever since, and for that reason it will probably never be topped in my mind. Uh, Max Power on the UK fan form says, it's Mankind and Undertaker for me. The stunts in this are unsurpassed, both before and after. And the fact that Foley is still alive after taking those bumps, let alone was able to work the rest of the match, blew my mind. It's probably not the best cage match ever, but it's up there with the most memorable things I've ever seen in wrestling. Looking at Foley for the last five years or so does dampen it a little bit, I suppose, but fuck it. 
So, <laughs> and there's quite a few other votes as well for uh, for Helena Cell here, 98. Talked about this recently on the Moon Knight War uh, timeline series that obviously you can go back and listen to it at squaredcirclegazette.com. So uh, this probably isn't a match that needs much elaboration. In terms of uh, being the best, I wouldn't say, obviously. But in terms of a favourite, I can see a lot of people kind of gravitating to this. I think uh, outside of, uh, I think even if you ignored uh, the fact that we've done it in the timeline before, I don't think it needs much talking about anyway, just because it's been mentioned and showcased so many times by uh, WWF that it, it really does leave nothing left to say, just apart from the fact that it has. It's probably, yeah, it, it wouldn't go down as the best. It would certainly go down as a favourite, or at the very least... Or at the as a moth comes in, as a and moth comes in, man right. Jones. right, and he gets scared. As he opens his wallet, oh damn it! <laughs> yeah. And um, and uh, you, you know, so but at the end of the day, like it will be probably a lot of people's favourite because it has to be quite hands down at least the most memorable cage match, just say. just because best, no notorious, yeah, infamous. because it's yeah. been hocked so many times. Uh, because I think the first Hell in Cell I ever saw was actually the Cactus Jack Triple H one for No Way Out, but I felt like I'd seen King of the Ring just because they showed all the major spots so often on the build to that match I hadn't even seen it and then I think about a couple of years later I actually finally sat down and watched it and realised oh no I had actually seen all of it I had actually seen all of it in all the video packages so I think it's just it's one of those ones that could probably be uh, one of those matches that would be in a lot of people's favourites list just because of just how iconic it is and just because of those two those two stunts those two stunts are memorable I, I think that you know the word Kieran using is probably most most up for it, the most notorious cage match. It it's memorable for the violence, for the two bumps. You know, it's it's got that barbaric nature that, that some would look for in, in the cage match. Um, certainly the most memorable, arguably the most violent. I'm, I'm sure there's probably been one on some indie show somewhere that was much worse for people getting paid far less, and it's far <laughs> less memorable. But um, <laughs> But the best ever, I, I can see why some people would go to because it, it's probably their first memory of Hell in the Cell if if they sort of jumped in more as the Attitude Era takes off. But I certainly don't think it's better than the first as 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 a as a match. No, certainly as not. a match, uh, Taker Sean tops it again. Best difference between best and favorite, I suppose. Like we said, so it, it it's probably like in a different way. It, it's it, in a different way though. It's along the same lines of of the of the uh, the Tully. Uh, Magnum TA, as in it was a, it was a spectacle match where it, it was one of those matches where it was it was a little harder for for those guys that for those people out there that call wrestling fake. You know, they just like to just like taunt you with the fakeness about it. It was just one of those matches that were harder for them to turn around and say, "Well, that's obviously fake," because it was just seemed so much more real. Because obviously the danger was real. Um, so it's just one of those uh, as we go into the spectacle matches. It's just one of those ones that probably um, lives with people for a lot longer, just because. Like I mentioned, I think on a few podcasts ago, when I when I when I showed this match to the missus, she just got completely engrossed in this match because oh, it's it, one of those matches. You where, show someone yeah, to try you and show like someone <laughs> to make them show like, look, it's not all fucking fake and pantomime, and you know, um, Al Wilson's fucking funeral. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just like you know, there's fucking real shit going on. These these these, these people putting their bodies on the line. Watch this, it's and, like, not... and, and it's hard to fucking argue with. You watch Foley fight over the cage, and you're there going like, well. No, he's pretty fucked there. Hey, but there's no way to fall. Al, Al Wilson put his body on the line too. <laughs> <laughs> on thorns. <but> yes. 
Go to another one here. Liger fan on the FOW board says, If we're going with straight cage matches, I've always had a soft spot for Angle versus Benoit from Raw, <laughs> even with the shitty finish. Yeah. Ted Kurtz on the FOW board says, The good answers are taken. As a young fan in the early 2000s, the Angle-Benoit cage match on Raw, where Angle did the moonsault, blew my mind and had my vote until I was more cultured. Uh, Fanny Pack on the UK fan form says, uh, I'm going for this match as well, with Austin originally on commentary and then stalking the cage. Great match, great crowd. Uh, Drave, or D-Rave, on a TPWW form, says that... That fucking moonsault and the headbutt off the cage made me mark out like a little bitch. I could watch these two fight every day if things were different. Still though, in my opinion this was a WrestleMania caliber match on just another Monday. They really need to have the occasional high profile match on Raw to make things feel fresh again. Then he ended up with saying JBL for PM, which I can't endorse. Uh, British Beef on the UK fan form says my personal favourite has to be uh, Angle vs He Who Shall Not Be Named on the June 11th Raw in 2001. The action in the crowd were absolutely superb, and I've always had a soft spot for Austin on commentary. He who shall not be named's diving headbutt and his belly to back suplex on anger while bouncing on the top rope made me wince watching them nowadays, considering what we know about both men's respective health issues. But what a fantastic match during the arse end of the Attitude Era, when there was still hope that the invasion angle might just pay off. And uh, Lagouche on the UK fan forum says, Angle once told a funny story about this match where, after hitting the moonsault off the cage, one of the first things he saw was a disappointed Steve Austin at commentary shaking his head in disgust. <laughs> <laughs> you can picture it, can't you? Austin there, hands on hips. I just... <laughs> A solemn shake of the head, slow <laughs> shake as he. What the fuck are you doing, Kurt? I I just I I remember this match in the back of my head, or I, I hadn't seen it since so uh, since two thousand one, and I always remember it in the back of my head because I remember that that Kurt Angle moonsault, and and I watched it again. It's number one. I watched again uh, actually this morning, and what the fuck were these two guys on? Don't answer that. I already know, <laughs> but but like I know what they were generally on, but I want to know what they were specifically on that night because. The stuff they do in this match is insane. German suplexes, proper German suplexes, off the top rope. A moonsault, which would, would, would rip a guy in half, right, from the height he was doing, and, and, the, and the way he arches it. And he bounces, like, easily a foot off the floor, right? <laughs> like, only topped by the other guy freaking doing a diving headbutt, you know, just as ludicrous. You think, like, oh, no, it's not going to get any better than the moonsault. They do a freaking diving headbutt as well. And... The, the, the match is absolutely insane for both the right and the wrong reasons. And, uh, I, and fun, funny enough, with, with mentioning with, with Austin at ringside, um, in the uh, the Austin podcast, which he does with Kurt Angle, they talk about this quite specifically uh, early on in Kurt's uh, career. And he was worried because him and Benoit wanted to, to have the best match possible because Benoit was moving into the main event scene and he wanted to put on the best uh, possible showcase for him before he gets up there. Kurt Angle felt like he was actually being downplayed a little bit since his title run uh, ended in February. And so they both had a point to prove. And so he just remembers as he was watching the match, he watched the match the very next day and he watches himself do the moonsault and, and Benoit doing the diving headbutt. He just thought like, fuck, what the hell must Austin have been thinking? Because he, he was watching Austin just watching the match just intently. And he was just like, what did he must be thinking? He must be thinking, I don't ever want to work with that guy again uh, or, or, or at all. And Austin on the podcast turns around and he goes, you're kidding me? And he goes, I was, there was moments during that, that match where I was genuinely forgot what I was supposed to be doing. I was watching your match and 
and you were worried that I didn't want to work with you because of that match. It was because of that match that I wanted to work with you because I saw how I saw two as you know houses because I saw these two cats you know going out <laughs> there and just tearing it fucking up and that, what they were willing to do to showcase this. I was like, this is someone I can work with. Of course, the comedy here and it's not really even comedy by any stretch of my shit. Of course, both of them have neck injuries, neck surgeries in the in the uh, ensuing months following this because yeah. for fuck's sake. I can't it's... think of a dumber move than that diving headbutt off the top of the cage yeah. and Ben used to do that in WCW all the time they had him doing that yeah. regularly Angle's moonsault's hysterical just yeah. for the way he bounces off the ground <laughs> yeah. with his arms by his side what, what the, hang the, time though the, the, such, oh, such grace yeah. such grace but, only only undermined by Steve Austin on commentary going I don't know what he's doing going for a belly flop off the top of the cage <laughs> just nine nine repeated German suplexes on Kurt Angle's neck oh great just, just rough <laughs> That's hard to see. And the top, the top rope. German. German. Yeah. That's, that's oh, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> that's brutal. And of it's course, all of this, all of this for Benoit to lose. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> With God. a shit finish, as was mentioned in the feedback. A great match, though. Sounds interesting. Is Slicky Trick. Abyss versus AJ Styles. No, but someone did say that one. It's a good match. Actually, yeah, it is, yeah. Slicky Tricky Damon on TPWW form says, October 30th, 2000, episode of Raw, Rikishi versus Stone Cold. Only because I was there and it's my first ever steel cage match in person. Stone Cold beat the crap out of Rikishi for a solid five minutes for running him over. It was also the episode where Edge and Christian debuted the kazoos that's become iconic. Uh, if we're not talking about matches where I was in attendance, I'd say Mankind versus Triple H at SummerSlam 97. Uh, love the chemistry these two had together in every incarnation. Also, the involvement of China getting involved in the cage. At that point, uh, interference in cage matches was a rarity it was great it's been way overdone in 2006 but it was great back then Foley screwing up and not having the heart tattoo ready before the match is hilarious love how McMahon sold it like it was great and went crazy for the debut of Dude Love he's probably so pissed that it looked like absolute shit a great match anyways he says and uh, Crowbro on the F4W board says I really love the Triple H Mankind SummerSlam match I remember watching the final moments of the pre-show with Todd running down the card when all of a sudden the cage starts to lower blow my mind that they were starting off the show with a cage match it was great to see Triple H and China get their first real comeuppance since she debuted with him and the dude love stuff post-match was great this being of course the tapping foot on the arena floor as the music kicks in and that fucking awful kind of weird strut thing he does on the outside of the ring on the way to the back uh, surprised this one got mentioned as a favourite to be quite honest I, I don't hate this match but I don't think this made it into our SummerSlam great matches list that we did uh, mm. way back when and to be honest I don't regret that I, I, I don't I, I think it's a good match but it's a solid it's a solid um enough cage match I think it's nothing spectacular but obviously not, not a dud either I think it was a solid solid show and the, the, the one thing I actually kind of in the Hogan Bossman category yeah yeah I, see yeah I think so yeah uh, fun for if you're watching at the time um, the one I actually like, honed in on there was the Austin Rikishi that you mentioned first and uh, just kind of like slowly realising like Jesus Rikishi did a lot of cage matches in 2000 um, that's, that's the one I was immediately thinking oh, of yeah yeah, yeah. Normally on TPW you mentioned the same one, but yeah. the thing is to me it's like it's like a one move match. I don't remember fuck yeah. all about the rest yeah. of that match. It's 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 a it's a I I, I guess I might categorise it as maybe being one of the Marmite matches because maybe because it's off a show that I really enjoy as well. But uh, and and I'll, I'll actually be frankly honest with you, I don't remember anything else other than the splash. <laughs> but I remember losing my fucking shit thinking Val might be legit dead because I tell you now I wouldn't fucking take a top rope top cage splash off him. He's fat. Yes, he is. Jesus Christ! Could you just imagine that coming down on you? Yeah, Jesus Christ! But yeah, but I thought, I thought, I thought at the time, I thought that was an entertaining match, just because I was really impressed with what Rikishi did in it. 
Embry fan on the FOW board says the final conflict cage match uh, with uh, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Knoedl versus Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood which was so successful it convinced Crockett to create Starcade the following year uh, there's a collection on YouTube that shows the key events of the entire feud as well as the actual match I only watched it for the first time a few years ago and it became my favourite cage match of all time when people talk about the little things in wrestling uh, that have been forgotten over the years that can make a match special this is a great example of the kind of match they're referring to uh, this, uh, this final conflict build up was something that we all watched in the uh, Better as face or heel show for Sergeant Slaughter, where him as the drill sergeant dick complaining about how you've never really broken my Cobra clutch. You might have broken Don Canoe's Cobra clutch, but you haven't broken mine. It's just, it's this great build up, and you know, Pri- Private Jim Nelson is, is the guy who ends up you know being the guy that was training in uh, Steamboat and, and Youngblood. Sadly, the uh, Slaughter didn't bring in Corporal Crush to oh, make yeah, up the odds. Say, That's yeah. yeah. That that would have been yeah. that would have been hot. But uh, since that wasn't the case, unfortunately, I had to stick for this cage match, which was, again, very, very good. I love tag team cage matches. There's a dynamic there that is, uh, is not used often enough for me. Bit of a slow start of the cage match, this one, I think. But uh, again, by the end, it gets there and, and really good stuff. I couldn't personally say favourite, though, when it comes to tag team cage matches. Um, to me, it's the, the, the sum of the parts of the entire feud is what kind of makes it. And I, I saw it years after, so I, could, I couldn't kind of honestly say that it uh, impacted me as much as it probably does some others. Although I can still acknowledge it. I do think it's really good. Yeah, I, mean, I I haven't seen a, a lot of of tag team cage matches though. I, I get the impression, in general, no one's seen a lot of them. They're they're quite a rare breed. Uh, but it's it's probably my for I know, dealing with the sort of limited sample size that I that I am. I'd, I'd probably say it's my favourite. But that, in terms of a, a tag uh, cage match, that could be clouded somewhat by my uh, unabashed love for Ricky Steamboat. What you, Carl? No. Uh, Seth82 on TPWW says gotta go with Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich from the WCCW Christmas Star Wars 82 show this is the match that led to the great Von Erich's Freebirds rivalry that put this territory on the map as one to watch for a few years and uh, Gat saves 159 on the F4W board says if the first Hill in a Cell counts that's my vote however for a regular cage match put me down for Flair and Von Erich in world class not only did it start the tremendous uh, Freebird of Von Erich feud the match itself was pretty great Flair was at the height of his powers and Von Erich was a good baby face so uh, I, uh, to be honest I've to me this match has always been far more about the finish than the match itself. I've, I've never really kind of got. I, I, there are other Von Eric Flair matches I prefer, but I was going to say, kind of in line with the Hell in the Cell, it's kind of the mythologized, you know, cage slamming to start the Freebirds yeah. feud. That's kind of um, yeah, maybe more not, no more infamous and mythologized rather than the actual match itself. So. Yeah, I guess in a in a similar vein to the '96 War Games match, in 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 the sense that that's about what Sting develops into, yeah. and this cage match is about what develops feud wise between Von Erichs and Freebird. So sort hot of crowd, si- I'll say that. Absolutely absolute hot crowd. Re- Reunion crowd. Arena, right? Yes. Um, yeah, it's a hot crowd. Not, not a bad match by any stretch. Of, you know, a, a pretty good match, but. It is to me much like yourself, more about the end angle than than the match. Yeah, absolutely, I'd agree there. Uh, Tamora on the UK fan form says: Hacksaw Duggan versus Ted DiBiase, coal miners' gloves, steel cage, tuxedo, loser leaves town match in mid south. Lacks the high spots you get in the more modern cage matches, but in terms of storytelling, just absolutely fantastic. This was one that I believe they put on the mid south DVD that they released uh, a while ago. A, a much loved match here between uh, Duggan and DiBiase. This is the fantastic mix of just a ton of different wacky gimmicks. You know, Duggan and DiBiase in the in the tuxedos, uh, a clean. Sh- 
shaven DiBiase, the big cheese, as he's uh, known at the time. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I love the match because obviously you got you know, Duggan bleeding early, and just I, I love the fact that yeah, as the match goes on, the tuxedos get ripped. It, the one spot that I always love from this match is when DiBiase pulls the, sh- the white shirt over Duggan's face and starts punching him, and of course the blood, the blood on Duggan's face seeps through the white shirt as the punches rain in. It is absolutely tremendous. The most simple finish in the world of, of, of Duggan, of all people, showing athleticism and climbing the pole <laughs> to get the, the coal miner's glove. DiBiase gets it, tries to punch him, never can. Duggan hits it one time, coal miner's glove, punch to the head, that's the win. Loser leaves town, see you, DiBiase. Again, kind of in the air, uh, the Magnum Tully kind of uh, train of thought of not a match necessarily for, for particular high spots or you can't really have a call like you know, great exchanges or anything like that but again in terms of just brawl intensity Duggan's punches here are really good DBRC is just on fire bumping and selling all over the place and uh, yeah uh, certainly a nod that I feel is uh, is merited on this show it's it's bizarre it's bizarre in a sense that when it comes to Duggan and that it's almost like they they took him from mid-south and it just became a completely different person Obviously, that's by, that's by design through the way Vince Vince books his shows, but it's just you know to to see such a contrast because you know as, for as much criticism as we give Jim Duggan on some of these podcasts in Mid South, the guy could work. Damn it, <laughs> worked hard when he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, next is on the UK fan form says Jeff Hardy versus Umaga from a Raw in 2008 uh, Jeff is babyface best fighting Umaga who was really good the whisper in the wind off the cage was amazing I love the intensity of him against Orton at the end of the match one of my favourite ever matches and one I've definitely rewatched a few times Noid on TPWW also says I remember a cage match between Jeff and Umaga I really liked uh, Jeff was chasing the WWE championship held by Orton at the time Orton came out and tried to impede Jeff climbing out Jeff sort of shrugged and hit a whisper in the wind off the cage onto Umaga for the win. Jeff was never one of my favourite wrestlers but he was white hot at the time and this all built tremendously and told the story of Jeff having so much momentum that Orton almost seemed to register it as a downtrodden response to the measures Jeff would go through to try and win the title at the Royal Rumble. So uh, this, this was that one month of Jeff Hardy being so hot. It was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, it was legitimately when, exciting yeah. every week. This, was, this felt like the was world it, was changing. When was yeah. it? What year? Jo- 2008. Recall, January yeah. 2008. Building to the Rumble, yeah. This was, you know, he'd beaten Triple H at No Mercy, he'd gotten wins over Undertaker on SmackDown, he'd, uh, they, they played the, the video to Rooftops by uh, Lost Profits, which was just you can't fucking... Make, you can't mention, can't mention that. If we can mention Ben while we can mention that. <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. Kind of like who, who decided places? Oh, it was a great video though. Who, who, who won, it was who, a great video. Who won the Rumble that year? How, how, what, was the, what was the what was the Rumble show? That was the, the show when uh, Cena came back at number three. Oh, right, okay. Orton right. just pinned Jeff clean at the okay, Rumble and that yeah. was the end of that pretty much I'll call it back and I'll put it in the, in the timeline again in the build up it was basically just look look how crazy yeah. Jeff is look how much Jeff wants it yeah. they, they did the thing where Jeff did that swanton off like the, the 25 foot scaffold oh, stage yeah, area yeah, yeah, yeah. they wheel him out in the stretchers the evil can evil raise of the hand to end the show it's just like god this guy's just fucking it, it was just so great it, the, the video was brilliant yeah. I know this isn't talking about you know, the cage match with the Amargo but it's an extension of the fact that mm. it was like You'd, you'd, you'd grown up watching this guy come of age and here he was when it mattered and he was just delivering again that whistle, the, the match with the, Umaga and Jeff had great chemistry really yeah. unappreciated chemistry I think and, and again this was another really good match yeah. and the whisper in the wind off the cage just perfectly summed up uh, that, that kind of point in time yeah I think uh, yeah Umaga's uh, became one of those kind of underrated performers I, I, I feel um, in, in, his, in his brief run 
White Sheep Mask on the UK fan form says, I'll always have a soft spot for the cage match between Rick Rude and Roddy Piper that happened at MSG in 1990, which seemed to get forgotten uh, about as it was only released on home video. I think it was Super Tape 2 that this was there uh, on. Uh, they do a textbook, both guys' feet hit the floor spot. And the match goes for a bit outside, and Rude just gets an awesome splash from the top of the cage, only to then change his mind once he's jumped, realise, shit, this is much higher than I thought it was, and in the end, hitting some sort of knee drop. I think it was a fist drop or something, wasn't it? Uh, this, of course, happened years after OJ Simpson. Sorry, Jimmy Snooker did his cage splash. <laughs> but this is the first time I ever saw someone try and move from that height. Having just watched it back again, I wish I had watched more of Rude's career. Uh, War Games 92 will also be high on most people's lists um, on the great cage matches, and Rude put in another stellar shift that night too. Even with a body so chiselled, it ruined the expectation of the male form for everyone else. <laughs> I just wanted to get that bit in there. But uh, again, yeah, Rude and Piper, MSG, I think it's actually 89. It's, it's late 89, I want to say. It's, uh, it's after the SummerSlam stuff with, uh, with Warrior and... Uh, and rude. Yes, you get to see a lot of rude's ass in this match, which you know. Always, a good thing. Oh, always, <laughs> always, always the money shot. I, I think it was '89. It's after because uh, it, it, it comes just after uh, Piper actually shows rude his ass. Ironically enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of arse in that feud. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but I can neither confirm nor deny that Rick Rude left the arena that night in a white bronco. <laughs> uh, I, I can't say honestly this is a favourite. I, I think that. Um, uh, to be honest, that, 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 again, it's all preference, obviously, with favourite, mm. but the crowd he compared to some of the other matters we've talked about today isn't quite there. But uh, again, it, Rude's just cl- a classic character, and Piper is too, so I can certainly see why this is uh, up there on the list. Banks on the FOW board says Flair versus Triple H for the IC title from Taboo Tuesday 2005. One of Flair's last great matches. It felt like a real fight and both guys beat the hell out of each other. They bled all over the place. Flair yelling, I'll kill you. There's a fuck you from Flair in there as well. <laughs> Brutal chair shots. I kind of wish Flair got a pin instead of escaping, but it doesn't really matter all that much. So again, this I, I, kind of, I remember this one too. I haven't really seen this match much since it happened the first mm. time. But uh, I, I do have the, the memories of thinking like, when that match was finished. And actually, the same thing for the last man standing match they did afterwards but um, that f- Flair bleeding walking out of the cage and just thinking this is the best I've seen Flair in ages it was almost a sort of one of the you know the last great hurrahs for Flair I think I um, I always re- have a, a more clear memory of, of the last man standing match mm. personally I, I don't know if that's because of the uh, you know, maybe something to do with the fact that a screwdriver is involved in the match you don't normally see screwdrivers in wrestling <laughs> <laughs> And the fact that you know a bloodied flare gives gives Triple H the finger <laughs> during the yeah, match. Yeah, that's great. Always, always something that stuck that stuck in my mind. But uh, yeah, not really, not not one that I'd considered in the in the build up to this. It's a. I might have to uh, go back and watch that it's one. It's worth now, a rewatch. I couldn't, I couldn't put it at the top, but it's definitely worth a rewatch. Uh, Jake Roberts, parole officer on the UK <laughs> fan form, says, A fave for me would have to be Rude Warrior at SummerSlam 90. Fuck me, did Rude work his ass off there? I'm not sure if there was any rude ass in that match. There probably yeah. was. I think there was. Yeah, yeah I got a feeling. Rude ass. I got a feeling some cheek. There were two, also two jumps off the top of the cage from Rude here, yeah. which did seem a little bit like overkill. Especially yeah. when you got Bobby Heenan on the outside screaming, "What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, why don't you come down and win the belt?" <laughs> kind of undermined the whole thing. Also, I got the vivid memory. Like we said last week, this was the first VHS I ever bought yeah. of that scene when. Warrior's crawling towards the cage door oh, and his face paint is, is, looks like a big yeah. fucking snut rocket hanging from his face hanging from his nose yeah. it looks so grim and, and then obviously he swings the cage door good finish obviously with a, you know, while we're doing the hip swivel on the edge of the cage we're dropping down fun match uh, I, I can certainly see mm. this one being a, a nomination but again yeah. all time best cage matches there are people that really don't like this match for some reason I don't know why I, I 
I, re- I really enjoyed it you know it has a stigma because of the fact it's warrior facing rude whilst the card has Hogan Earthquake I, I, I think people maybe sort of struggle to sort of separate the two and also whenever you watch the match you think this is this is good and all and, and don't get me wrong it is a good good match you say anything this is the wrong guy to be in there with Warrior right now it's, it's hard to get away from that um, but yeah, yeah Rude works his bollocks off to uh, entertain the Pennsylvania pissants <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this yeah, it's a, it's a real fun match. That's well, and that fat guy they cut to when he's just yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's a really fun match. One of one of Rude's best performances, I feel. Uh, it's also, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, one of my one of my first wrestling memories. Um, uh, Rude, Rude and Warrior. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's obviously the, the, the way obviously they, they they built the feud up at the time. The, the the crowd is flat, which I think might might kind of hinder a lot of people's viewing on it. Um, hence why Rude's just doing top rope freaking fish drops you know he's just trying to do anything he can to uh, try and get the crowd back into it because remember we did have a, a 60 uh, you know a 60 plus minute um, you know pose down from Hogan uh, uh, before the match you know a, a nice little uh, <laughs> just, just can't let it go, a nice he? little nice little sabotage from uh, from Lust Hogan <laughs> lusting, lusting for time lusting for time lusting now. for that belt he just insatiable appetite pretty much I've come to the conclusion that a little part of you is going to die inside when Hogan finally pops his clogs you've you've got this this element of hate that gets you through the day for Hogan and when that goes you're going to be half the man you used to be will be in adulation over it that's sad yeah (laughs) (laughs) it means I don't have to post a nail bomb so it's fine (laughs) buddy Bad news, Gertner on TPWW form says Backlund versus Snooker from MSG in 1982. Snooker misses the splash off the top of the cage. Fuck me sideways, was that a great ending? And uh, yes, it was indeed a great ending. Actually, the first time I ever saw that, I remember thinking, uh, I'm curious if anybody else did, there's no way Snooker's making it that far across the ring from the cage. Because like he slams him like pretty much directly in the middle. And he, he comes on the cage like, there's no way he's fucking making that. He's going he's gonna to do the splash and he's going he's gonna to come up short. And he fucking soars across that ring and eats out on the canvas. Crowd goes crazy when Backlund crawls out the cage, but uh, other than that, and there are some hot moments when Backlund's making his comebacks, but the very kind of one-dimensional nature of the offense, and, and it doesn't have the intensity of some of the other ones we talked about. I, I couldn't say as a, as a complete match that uh, it's anywhere near like on a personal favorites list, though. Like you said, fantastic ending, absolutely iconic ending. Obviously, we're playing uh, more than they did uh, Snooker Morocco the next year, but um. John Carr 92 on the UK fan form says one thing that sticks with me uh, with cage matches was a show I went to almost 10 years ago I won free tickets for in the local paper I was chuffed because that was the first time I ever won anything in the competition but come show day they revealed they couldn't do it because they couldn't fit it through the door <laughs> I know what you're thinking poor planning on their part just shows they didn't uh, bother scouting the venue properly before booking it the show was dire they had a ladder chair and table match in its place with a tribute undertaker in purple gloves and boots uh, won by a KO with a rubbish choke slam through a table I know I can't complain for free tickets but it stuck out like a sore thumb Anyway, for me, it has to be Triple X versus AMW. Losing team must disband six sides of steel match from TNA Turning Point 2004. Must have watched it dozens of times. The match was most famous for some crazy spots, including Elix Skipper's death-defying tightrope routine on top of the cage uh, into the Hurricane Rana, which was incredible. Uh, for a split second, he almost lost it. Probably didn't help Christopher Daniels doing the elbow drop off the cage a few seconds after, because the previous move sucked all the energy out of the crowd, freaking out about it. He had everything you could want for a feud-ending match. One of my all-time favorite 
favourites for sure. And uh, Fake Plastic Trees on Pro Wrestling Only says, Hands down, I will have to go with Jericho and Ambrose from Extreme Rules. It was fantastic and everything pro wrestling should be. Wait for panel's reaction, which is just puzzled faces around the table. <laughs> just kidding, that was complete shit, he says. Uh, but a match I really remember enjoying and actually watched earlier this year and still enjoyed was Triple X and AMW from Turning Point, a legit match of the year contender in 2004 that is still a fun watch and holds up pretty well. The match was the last one in the series with the losing team having to disband and all four men fought with urgency, passion and pulled off some incredible stuff without being too self-conscious or trying to look too cute. Uh, of course, the most famous moment from that match and something that's been on TNA sizzle packages is Elix Skipper's cage walk. Today to this day, it is one of the few pro wrestling stunts within the last 15 years or so that actually had me holding my breath in complete shock. Skipper actually hitting it had me and everyone in the Impact Zone marking out good times and a good match. Prime time, baby. Prime, Prime time. time. And how was Elix Skipper rewarded for that? He eventually became one of the diamonds in the rough. <laughs> With David Young. What an all-star yeah. team. <laughs> First off, that little story at the beginning, I just couldn't stop laughing at that because it was just the moment he said that they replaced the cage match with a table, ladder, and chair match. Note the singular on all three of those. The motherfuckers couldn't even afford more than one chair. <laughs> Fucking losers. Jesus Christ. One ladder, one table, one chair. If they botch anything, they're fucked. Oh, God. Brilliant. Um, British Indie Wrestling yeah. for you folks. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since I've watched uh, um, this match. I have got it on on DVD, and I remember being a big uh, big fan of it at the time. Um, I can't recall too much of it apart from just as obviously the uh, Elix Skipper um, uh, cage walk, which is uh, no two ways about it. It's, it's, it's phenomenal to look at. It's a great spot, um, and I just remember just fucking blood everywhere. I remember AMW just bleeding. All over the place. I like uh, it. You got the, the bringing of the handcuffs, but yeah, from, uh, yeah. from the heels, which of course ends up getting flipped on them. They yeah, one of them gets handcuffed. They do the mm. uh, the the, 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 the yeah. triple X's yeah. finishing move yeah, on yeah. them to, to end the uh, end the rivalry and end the team. And you remember what was the best thing about it with, with that with that finish? As the finish was, was that the losers would never team again. And guess what they did? They never teamed again until Russo came in and reteamed them. Oh fuck! Did he? Yeah. When? Oh, two thousand six or seven. Oh, I wasn't watching. No that, one remembers. No, no one remembers. No, that. I wasn't watching then. I wasn't yes, watching. Then. I just remember Skipper. He does lose it right at the end, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. right at the end. Yeah. Real precarious. Yeah. You lucky bastard! I, I do not envy being the guy sitting on the cage waiting for the wrong. How are you supposed to take a flip? Sit on top of a cage like that. Yeah. That's pretty fucking yeah. you can't weird as well. Back to, to do no, but I suppose that's what the lean forward. There's enough. Yeah, you know, sort of, there's enough force set as. I guess so. Da- Daniel's immediately following it with an elbow off the cage that's while no one's paying is, attention. Yeah. That's yeah. that's too much. Yeah. But uh, again, really good story throughout in terms of just the back and forth. Again, tag team cage matches. We yeah. need to see more of them. Yeah, yeah, Speaking yeah. of uh, indie uh, cage matches, the show I went to uh, on Saturday. It was an all cage match show, and obviously, yeah, the cage is so big it's like literally like a foot from the ceiling. <laughs> so like, when the guy, I think it was a heel, climbed up, we got a turn the fan on chance because so, like. <laughs> <laughs> Decapitation would have been fucking sweet. <laughs> what a high spot. I haven't seen that yet. Boy, better know when F4W says, I'm going to have to go with Edge and Undertaker Hell in a Cell from SummerSlam 2008. I love that feud and it was the perfect climax to it. If we're talking just cage matches, I would have to go with Angle and Benoit from Raw. Uh, yeah, the amazing commentary team of Ross and him and calling the match along with the heel Stone Cold. I've been binging on your shows. They are great fun. Keep up the good work. So thank you very much, Boy, better know. But uh, yeah, Edge and Taker Hell in a Cell. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I saw this entire show but didn't see the main event when it actually happened. Heard people praise the match, went back and watched it afterwards, and actually was a little bit underwhelmed. So I, I don't know, and, and partly because of the, the end where Taker 
after the match choke slams off a ladder through to hell <laughs> like they, 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 through the ring oh, the ring explodes in flames was that when like, Edge disappeared for a while yeah he and fucked he off back until, in the rumble yeah, with a beard or survive, no survivor series because apparently they don't have like shavers in hell well no uh, again I, not, not again very good match but it felt a little too okay so you know how kind of Tully and Magnum which we started this podcast to yeah. bring it full circle was completely organic everything felt natural point to point to point this was the setting up tables on the floor mm. putting the steps in, the, in, in a certain place so you can do a spear onto them and stuff like that it's like it, it's just the kind of thing it was like you, you, you've sat down and you've thought of about 15 creative things to do with Hell in a Cell and potential weapons and it just doesn't feel quite as organic it, as it, it could. It causes enough sort of pauses in the action to take you out of any any moment that you might have conceivably or been in. intensity, you know. It's like you know, comparing that to the first Hell in a Cell with Sean and Tick, where nothing fell out of place. If they wanted to do something that was external from just fighting in the cage, there was a reason for it. There was a natural thing, and I just I didn't really. I don't know. Maybe it's nitpicky on my part, no, but no, it's that TLC setting up the ladders for, for spots. Like, what are you doing that for? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly though you know what I'm saying it's yeah. that kind of a thing and it holds it back a little bit for me I don't know if that's a consensus or does dampen it a little bit and like you say the, the, the hokiness the finish of, I, of, I, of the choke slam through the ring always, really, always that, rankles with me yeah I think that might bother me more. It, like, if it wasn't for that I probably would be able to kind of stomach the other stuff but because that is like symbolic to me of the rest of the match like, oh, and I hate that one yeah. part so much and any of the any of the the hokey Undertaker shit when he comes back as the dead man really just yeah, yeah. just irritates me not a fan of the lightning not a fan of the lightning no scared of it <laughs> I just wasn't. I, I might be. Uh, might be controversial. Well, I wasn't a fan of the feud. Full stop. I was just kind of bored with it. Next up here, Heat Magnet on the F4W message board says Taker versus Brock No Mercy 2002. I'm of the opinion that this is where cage, what cage matches should be. I can't stand when the case as a uh, means of forcing the. Comp- oh, hang on. I can't stand when the cage as a means of forcing the competitors to stand and fight is circumvented by a stipulation. They kept it confined to the cage and uh, kicked the shit out of each other. It's truly a spectacle. It's not without some flaws. Though Taker's hand in not being sold is probably off-putting to those who are nitpicks god damn it I just said that right off air <laughs> that, was like, that was something yeah. I didn't like about this match but uh, yeah so Taker Brock obviously this is the uh, incredible blade job here from the Undertaker at the end of the match where he's pissing blood out of his head um, I, it is a very good match the, the hand thing which was cited as a nitpick was actually something I mentioned off air that I didn't like about this match where it was broken beforehand you make a big deal of the fact that he's going in with the cast he beats up the cast breaks the cast off and then takes throwing punches with the broken hand by the end of the match and it's you know it's like ah, you know if, if it, tell the story or don't tell the story make up your mind don't be fucking lazy about it now the flip side is the intensity of the match is great the blood is spectacular Brock killing him in fantastic fashion yeah, winning cool. clean and standing on top of the cage oh, yeah. and basically taking a shit through it onto him at the end of the show <laughs> is glorious but uh, and we were talking off air just a second ago about whether or not you know this one or the or the, uh, the rematch more recently is is the more uh, which which ones are more memorable which ones better I suppose uh, good memories of it I mean um, I'd have to watch them back to back to be honest to compare the two um, but like the rise of Brock and just looking absolutely fucking awesome killing the Undertaker in his own match yeah it's like it was a beautiful story and yeah the, just the image at the end of him on top of the cage like fucking yeah fucking yeah Heyman even bleeds on yeah, the yeah Heyman hey, hey, Heyman does a blade job as well and let's be honest with this period of the Undertaker you're never quite sure going in are you if, if it's going to be done I'll call it the correct way you know see the prior month yeah there's a reason that they're well, they might actually put Taker over here. You know, you wouldn't put it past them, yeah. sort of thing. So, 
so to have that ending as well to end it on what I will deem a positive note you know the correct way a brockening a brockening yeah mm. thing they should they should do tours of him like that a brockening. the brockening appearing at yeah. I don't think Mark Hunt's going to get a brockening but in in terms of in terms of whether or not that one is is better than the more recent one it's a tough one I'm I'm inclined to say yes but if I were to watch them back to back I don't know maybe maybe that could sway me that the 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 latter is the better two it's oh it's really tough but I like them both Um, yeah I got nothing wrong with the uh, with the second one at all Um, uh, really well worked um, great finish and so on, but um, the yeah this this one this one for me um, the the first one at No Mercy is, is in is in my top five and and I'd actually say I'd actually have this uh, above uh, actually having been my favourite of all the Hell in the Cells it, it just pips um, Sean Taker for me um, but, but that you know mainly because I watched that one back in retrospect so I wasn't like invested in the match because I knew what the finish was whilst this one I absolutely was because. But with this one, as as Kieran was mentioning, with the with the ascension of, of of Brock Lesnar at this point, I was completely on the bandwagon. As you mentioned, he he faces Undertaker, Unforgiven, and they do that bullshit finish, and it was like almost like a brick wall yeah. at the time. And I just remember that Taker on the day of the yeah. show refusing to lose. <clears throat> and, I, and, I, and I just remember thinking, I just remember thinking, <laughs> fuck, that's not good. That's not good. So I went into this match not being completely confident that Brock's gonna win. And what you got, yeah, there's some 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 flaws in it, and and there's been flaws in other matches that that, that we've enjoyed. But the the action, as you stated, you know, the, the fact that everyone everyone bleeds, even Paul Heyman, who's outside the ring, is bleeding. You get Heyman like uh, with with I think it's his belt uh, strapping uh, Undertaker's uh, hand to sell and just screaming, "You're gonna die! Rock, You're gonna rock, die!" Rock hitting the cast with the chair yeah. so many times the belt breaks. Yeah, which is just brilliant. Yeah, great moment as, as you mentioned at the end where he's on top of the cage and he's bleeding but he's absolutely just looking fucking awesome as Undertaker's just dead he's just looking dead just him. looking at him looking at him being victorious and dead and I was like as you said it's the right way to do business and that's when I turn around okay he's now the man he's gonna have that belt forever and, and man Survivor Series <laughs> an interesting story though about the after the Unforgiven uh, match when Taker mm-hmm. refused the job before Hell in a Cell um, Sean was in gorilla position taping his fists <laughs> <laughs> and warned Taker that he would be doing the job and he did he did that's the true fact okay. and on that revealing note which you've probably never heard before we're seeing an exclusive scoop and here and you'll never hear again from the Rashlin Prophet here at Squared Circle Gazette <laughs> Radio we have unfortunately run out of time for this week we wish we could read all the feedback but unfortunately we just don't have enough time uh, so if we didn't get to yours this week we apologise we will be back next week we've had a couple of very uh, fun optimistic shows uh, here at Squared Circle Gazette recently so we're going to of course bring it back down to a bit more criticism and analysis next week because we're doing Small Claims Court here at uh, SCG Radio of course if you haven't heard our trial series before you can go back to squaredcirclegazette.com and listen to our previous trial shows this uh, next week we have 10 minor charges uh, that we're going to have to do a majority vote on to see if they're going to go down we're going to put them out in the forms and on the Facebook page next week so you can listen to that very quickly before we go favourite cage match of all time around the table Sean Taker Hell in a Cell yeah Sean Taker Hell in a Cell yes War Games 92 and I'll go Sean take a hell in a cell yes Sean wins again (laughs) I want to thank everybody for listening one more time we will be back next week here on Squared Circle Gazette Radio so for G. John Chase one sec we haven't actually talked about Thunderdome right Ric Flair Terry Funk let me me tell you about it (laughs) right it starts off for Carl Jones 
We don't need another hero. <laughs> and poor Kieran O'Rourke. I will show me the next line. Let's go. Au revoir, mon chéri. I am Liam O'Rourke, and we are out of here. Talk to you next week. That does have flesh swinging on the rope, doesn't it? Like Tarzan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>